listening to the Cricket Podcast. I think it was a disgraceful performance and I think it should never be permitted to happen again. That is very good. Hello everyone and welcome to the Cricket Podcast where this week we have a two-part show in Part one, we'll be talking about India's thumping win over England. Where did the hosts get it so right? And who was better, Rohit Sharma or Ravi Ashwin? Then, in part two, we're joined by cricket analyst and long-time friend of the podcast, Dan Weston, to preview the IPL auction. I'm Jack Hope, and as ever, I'm joined by Max Rowe Brown. How are you, Max Rowe Brown? Hello, Jack. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm a little... uh... A little beaten, much like the England team themselves, uh, but uh, you know, pick, I'm going to pick myself back up and and get ready for a, a cracking show. Yeah, your problem is you emotionally invested. Like you, what you want to do is what I do, which is kind of surf the wave of optimism, but never really care that much because then when we plunge back down, um, you can you can yeah. just move on with your day. No, it's good. Uh, <laughs> it's always good to have an undercurrent of sociopathy. I find it it helps. <laughs> yeah. uh, the third wheel. Uh, on the podcast, uh, Ross Legg, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very, very, uh, very well, thanks, mate. Very well. The third wheel. I, uh, does this does this make us like a was it a, I'm, a tricycle? I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that either, Ross. To be <laughs> yeah. honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the cricket podcast tries to call. That's that's what we are, uh, boys. The the just to start off with, um, the cricket. Uh, have England ever gone from such a high to such a low? In your time watching the sport, I mean, not in not in such a short, short space of time. I mean, I've seen it over the course of like like two series, you know, where we've you know, won the Ashes, then gone to Australia and got absolutely pummeled. But uh, in in a week, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, we, we've 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 packed an, a year long timeline into about ten days. Yeah, uh, which, which, is, which is pretty good guy, Ross. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think the anticipation of like being at the World Cup was really exciting, and then uh, we lost to the Netherlands. So uh, that was pretty. Oh, it's really exciting. We're going to win everything, and then oh no, Stuart Broad has missed an easy run out, and it's all gone wrong. But then we did win, so you know, it went the other way afterwards. Yeah. Um, anyway, we, we kick off every every episode of the Cricket Podcast with a slightly irreverent question, uh, and this week to celebrate Ross, who became a godfather for the first time, I think. Uh, do you say godfather for the first time? I know you'd say father for the first time. I'm going to assume yes. Yeah, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, Ross became a godfather father for the first time last week, as he mentioned on the show. Uh, to celebrate that, my question to you, fellas, uh, starting with you, Ross, mm-hmm. is if you could choose anyone from cricket to become your new dad, um, who, who would you choose? <laughs> so... When I kind of think of parenting, I always thought back to um, doing a bit of research and uh, you read kind of parenting books is what I've been told. I'm not a parent. I'm a godfather. It's a little bit different. Um, So what I did, did, I've gone to the web for a bit of help and um, I found the Galinsky method, which was defined in 1987. And there's six different stages to parenting. And uh, what I've done is just assessed my selection of who I think is my dad, which is Rahul Dravid. Um, I think he should be my cricketing father. Um, I just wanted to walk you through the different stages and why I thought it was relevant, if that sounds all right. Yeah, well, Do we have a I'm, choice? I, yeah, I feel like we're hostages to this situation, aren't we? So, yeah, so um, strap, strap in. Number one, 
image making. This is uh, pre. This is prep during pregnancy. So you're still in the womb at this point. But Raoul Dravid's not. He's inseminated the the woman in this scenario. Um, but he, he's <laughs> okay. He's uh, he's shadow batting. You know Raoul Dravid shadow bats. Uh, he's tr- he's doing training drills and he's probably reading the Wisden Almanac on a Sunday afternoon while listening to TMS mumble on in the background. Big tick for the first stage. Well done, Raoul. Uh, second stage uh, is. Nurturing, so it's the 18 to 24 months, really important for a, a bambino's development. And this is where the father has to balance life with the baby's needs. Um, he's known as Mr. Dependable in India. For, oh, for like, what more would you want from a uh, because he is dependable? Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's the wall. Yeah, What's he, more dependable than a wall? But he he never he didn't even get one golden duck in 286 test innings. So. That, that, if that if that doesn't say dependable, then I don't know what does. So, I mean, look, he's, he's going great blazes. Right? This is two stages out of this Galinsky method that I found randomly, and he's smashing it so far. Um, number three, authoritative. Uh, this is the years two to five. I, I hope there's some uh, new parents listening to this. It's really important. Uh, and, th- and this is around safety and setting boundaries. He has taken 406 catches in his career. He is the definition of safe hands when it comes to parenting. Setting boundaries. He's smashing boundaries, mate. That's what he's doing. That is what he's doing right here. Yeah. Four, interpretive years. So this is five years to adolescence. I hope you're still with the podcast. Um, If you are are bored of this, go forward about four minutes and then you'll be fine. Um, Four minutes? (laughs) uh, Empathy and how to play well with others. Uh, This is a guy who's captained India, which also included him declaring when Sachin was on 194. If that doesn't mean putting your team first and putting yourself second, that's a great example to set as a father, isn't it? Putting yourself second or putting someone in your yeah, team that's, second? That's putting someone else second, Ross. Mm, it's putting the team first, someone else second. Okay, all right, well, look, yeah, it, it, we can all agree the team was first, but yeah. then yeah. someone else was second. Yeah. You know, Dravid's okay. not on that particular list, is he? Yeah, that is very true. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying the Glitzky method is a perfect fit for Al Dravid, but you know, that's what I'm trying to argue. Uh, number five, interdependence, uh, conflict resolution and guidance. I mean, Dravid has been the India captain, as I mentioned. Imagine the egos he's had to manage um, and deal with. Uh, he also um, is... What's the word? He's, he's global. He's Mr. Worldwide. He has hit a test century in, ten, in all ten test-playing nations. If that is not knowledge that you need to grow up with of the world, I don't know where you're going to get better guidance from. Um, and then finally, Max, um, not four minutes later, uh, departure. This is where you go from adolescence into adulthood. Um, and in a coaching and advisory role as a parent, um, I can't think of anyone better. He's now imparting his wisdom to under-19s of India at the moment. Um, he's helped the likes of Siraj come through and shine as well as Washington Sundar. Um and what I like to think is if I was having a problem with my cricket bat and it was broken, he would be the first one round to offer a bit of advice. He'd bring a bat cone round and bring a bit of bat glue. And that's why I'm saying that the one of the GQ 2012 men of the year, Raul Dravid, should be my cricketing dad. Well, you know, it was a thorough explanation. Um, <laughs> Join us Max next week to find out where Brian Lara sits on the Myers-Briggs indicator. <laughs> Max, um, I'm hoping you didn't do as much research, to be honest. No, and uh, I'm 
very happy to say that I will uh, I will please you by saying I've not done as much research. My cricketing father has to be Colin de Grandom, or as we like to call him on the podcast, Colin de Grandad, uh, for the simple reason. Um, I think this is sort of taken in microcosm in the World Cup final in 2019 between England and New Zealand. Colin de Grandom is the kind of dad where you will play a game with him and he will let you feel like you could win but also show you that he is the best and you should learn that you need to improve. Because there were two things he did. One was bowl 10 overs and concede 25 runs, just you know, stamping his authority all over the game, showing England that he is the boss, he is the dad. And the second thing he did was not bowl the super over so that England had a chance. Because, you know... When you you want your you want your son to feel like they're involved in the game, you don't want to just smash them out of the game. You wanna you wanna you wanna balance it, and and that's exactly what he did in that World Cup final. Unfortunately, he got the balance slightly wrong, and England won that super over. But um, you know that's 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 not his fault. Hey, Grand Horn, Grand Horn is kind of close to Granddad or Dad as well, isn't it? So, yeah. from a linguistic point of view, um, an excellent selection. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where I went with my thought process as well. I went with Ganguly. Um, as you'll both know, fellas, uh, he's affectionately known as Dada in India. And I, I think if over a billion people are calling you Dada, you've probably done something right, haven't you? Uh, so without doing any more research beyond that, I'll be honest with you, I... <laughs> I'm choosing Surav Ganguly as my uh, new cricketing dad. I mean, Um, it's possible the reasons a billion people could be calling you dad is because you've rounded up a billion infants. And in that situation, you're definitely not doing something right, are you? So... It's just it might be a flawed method. I'm just saying, you know, maybe maybe the Gavinsky method is the way to go after all. We, I, I don't think we can confirm or deny on the cricket podcast. The number of children that Ganguly has fathered. Um, Ganguly, I'm, assuming <laughs> I'm assuming it's the official number on his Wikipedia page. Um, which is... He does, he, I don't, he does have a very hairy chest as well, which is quite a good dad feature. Uh, and um, and he kind of built the modern India team, didn't he? He changed how the Indian team conducted themselves. And, and that's paid dividends, as we saw this week. Um, anyway, before we get on with uh, with talking about... India, the England Test Two, the Indian retesting. Yeah, <laughs> Ross, do you have any messages for our listeners and viewers, or the the, the people? Yep, uh, they should follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Cricket Pod. Um, interact with us; we're always going to respond because we've got nothing better to do, and we love hearing from our fans. Um, and also subscribe and um, well, what's the word? Follow on podcast platforms as well as our YouTube channel. Perfecto. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be right back. I can't wait to get you to the Gabrash. Tell you what. I can't wait to get you to the Gabrash. Tell you what. It's full. It's down the ground. So India set about annihilating England over the last four days. Um, I don't think anyone in the world 
uh, can complain about the result. Max, you are going to give us the tale of the test in a minute or so here. Go! Right, well, yes, uh, after England's um, probably equally unexpected and impressive victory in the first test, just just got to get that one in there, that did happen, um, <laughs> India were looking to bounce back to level the series in the second test in uh, Chennai, and boy, did they. Uh, after winning the toss on a pitch, already offering some turn, Rohit Sharma produced an absolute masterclass to compile 161, and uh, ably supported by Rahani and, once again, Rishabh Pant, who really looks like a, a new man at the moment, India put together what looked like a, a very imposing 329 in their first innings. Uh, those three uh, aforementioned batsmen aside, the other Indian batsmen struggled a bit and some of those found their dismissals easier to come to terms with than others, it has to be said. Uh, but their trials served to show really just how brilliant Rohit's innings truly was. In reply, England, faced with the brilliance of Ashwin and co, looked uh, simultaneously all at sea like a fish out of water and thrown into the deep end. And if not for a battling 42 not out by Ben Folkes, the beautiful man that he is, uh, England's embarrassing 134 could have been quite a lot worse. Um, if the outcome at that point uh, wasn't, well, if the outcome on day one wasn't obvious, at that point it was completely nailed on. And uh, India's second innings, which was punctuated by a, a brilliant 100 by Ravi Ashwin, just served to rub salt, hydrochloric acid and razor blades into England's already quite festering wounds, leaving them with a uh, rather unlikely two and a bit days to survive or uh, 482 runs to chase down and um, didn't last long. So um, let's focus on the cricket. First of all, um, much like England outplayed India last week, India just dominated us in every department, really, didn't they? Yeah, I think I right. So I think there are two things that we're well, there are a bunch of things we're going to talk about. Um, I, I for England fans, um, we will talk about the pitch, um, but we're going to do that later because um, I, I I think basically we're all in agreement that that whilst tricky, shall we say didn't really have much of an impact on the actual result. Um, I, I think, as you say, Max, India came back with a vengeance. Um, the conditions suited them slightly more. I think they got their selection bang on. Um, I think England were caught a little bit by surprise uh, in terms of how they coped with Rohit's explosiveness on the first day. And and kind of by tea on day one, um, the England win was almost... almost um, uh, an impossibility, wasn't it? I mean, it, 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 India started so strongly um, that that you know England could England, England didn't even have time to fight back. It was uh, for, for I mean the Ro, uh, Rohit's innings. It was like um, one of the classic Verinda Sehwag innings, where it was just pure. He just looked imperious compared to everybody else, and I think his run rate kind of dwindled towards the end of his innings, but he punished England very early on and forced them to abandon some plans, and you, you could see that England was struggling to deal with it, especially kind of Moeen Ali and uh, the other spinners who um, toiled away for over three or four and over. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think cut above is the is how I'd probably describe it. A row hits yeah. innings. I mean, Ashwin hit a century in the second innings, which was entertaining, but of a completely different calibre to Rohit Sharma's. I mean, mm -hmm. Rohit made um, a bad or a difficult pitch to bat on um, look reasonably easy, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think. Uh, he, he scored so quickly. And I, I think basically we got, a, we got a demonstration of why 
Rohit Sharma at home is one of the is probably probably the best opening batter in the world. Um, he averages just under ninety now in India. <laughs> wow. um, and I think the other thing you saw was was really an example of how to bat in those conditions. And what we saw yeah. time and again through the match was that the first thirty overs of the new ball were really hard. Like it, the ball was doing all sorts of crazy things. It was exploding out the pitch. And then after that sort of thirtieth over. It calmed down a bit and you had a window until the ball got soft again and started to do some weird stuff where you could actually score. Now, to exploit that, let's say, 30 or 40 over gap, you need to be explosive. And that's that's exactly what Rohit Sharma is. And and, and, and you, you he, also need to be there. Exactly. So he managed, he got himself to lunch and then that afternoon session when he was batting with Rahani on, uh, on the first day, he just absolutely dismantled England. They had no answers to him, and 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 uh, like I mean, Joe Root was was cooked basically, wasn't he? In the in the Chennai <laughs> sun, he he had he, he, it was it. That was it. I mean, it was game over by tea. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought Rahane actually did well. I mean, uh, it was a bit of criticism from him from the first Test match, but again, his senior innings did really well, and actually, him and Rohit, as you say, set up the game for India perfectly. Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's where that well, like you said, that's where the game got away from England just even in that that first couple of sessions because uh, I mean you take you take 100 off of that Rohit score and suddenly India have uh, putting together 200 and it's a completely different game and it's just it's really uh, that that innings is really what's made made the difference and I think and and to me it's a, it's a difficult argument to make bearing in mind that the man of the match was uh, was Ashwin and he took a five for and took a and scored a hundred and is now um, has surpassed some very big names on the on the list of people to have done that I think Rohit's innings probably warranted for me the the man of the match award just because of how big an impact it had on the game and like you said Ro, um, Ashwin's hundred while excellent was a completely different scenario I, I thought I 100% agree with that I think it was the best innings of a, uh, Rohit's career it was the I think it was one of the best innings uh, in terms of Im- impact on the match that uh well some so since anyone's played since um, Kyle Myers uh, last week <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but you, I mean, it was it was that kind of caliber inning so he won a test match by himself in two sessions and, in my view and, that, and that's I think it's a really key bit that comes back to the pitch comment but there was a bit where if England would have got on and batted on that first time even India in that scenario if, if Rohit didn't hit those runs India would have been in trouble and and that was the bit that he was the difference between those two sides it doesn't matter about the pitch Rohit's 160 could have been hit by England, could have been hit by India, but Rohit did it and won the game for them. Uh, yeah, it was the pace that he did it. Mm. It wasn't 160 off 320 balls. Uh, that kind of innings, I don't even think really would have been possible on that wicket. Um, but he had, he, he found himself with a window to do it. England weren't bowling that well, and um, and, and he executed. It was, it was, you know, a masterclass basically. Mm. So can we talk Should about? We... Oh, yeah, oh, go on. Oh, I think we were about to say probably the same thing. Should we talk about the actual man of the match? The Ravi <laughs> <laughs> Ashwin. Um, um, one of the, the all-time banter performances, uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think. From, from cricket's undisputed banter champ as well. Like, uh, I mean, what All it was he... missing was a mancad. <laughs> it was. That, was. that was sort of it. Um, I don't know. I, does someone want to talk about his bowling in the first innings? I, mean, I'd, I would actually like to just um, point out that he's proved you wrong on the batting front. That's my, my first point I've written down. <laughs> yeah. you, you'd, you'd written him off in the preview as well as last week. 
Well, yeah, he had. I mean, I, I, I suppose, I, I mean, Ashwin talked about this himself um, a little bit. Uh, Ashwin, going back to 2017, uh, only averaged 17. And, and we said that one of India's potential weaknesses might be that Ashwin at eight is probably a bit high. They've got quite a long tail. Um, uh, it turns out Ashwin, as Ashwin does, has identified that he had a weakness there. He's been in the net. He's been practicing the sweep. He was talking about this after the innings. Apparently, he hasn't played the sweep shot since he was 19, which was 15 years ago. Uh, recently, he decided he wanted to work on it. He wanted to work on it again. Uh, and he pulled it out with aplomb against uh, the English spinners. I mean, hitting one really, really big six off uh, Moen Ali, I think. Uh, you know... I, well, I'm wondering what he's had to do to learn how to play the sweep again. Because he's a pretty big unit, isn't he? Did he have to take up yoga, a bit of Pilates? Because <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't look like the most agile of guys, does he? So, <laughs> No, um, uh, he doesn't strike me. So, I mean, like when when I've seen Ashwin bat before, he he looks... I mean, he was a batter when he was young. Um, he looks very technically correct. He's quite eye-catching. This innings wasn't really that. I mean, there was one beautiful drive back, back over Stuart Broadshead. But there were quite a lot of uh, more improvisational shots. I know, did you see him batting against Ollie Stone? It was quite early in the morning uh, on day three. I was up doing commentary. You two might have been asleep. Did you see any uh, of him? No. But basically, asleep. he was. Well, England decided they were going to try and bounce him out on the world's slowest pitch. And so they set a field back, and it was clear what was coming. And Ollie Stone came onto bowl, and he bowled it halfway down. The ball was probably getting up to about armpit height. Uh, not very quick. And Ashwin, with his bat basically upside down, was swatting the ball back down the wicket like like someone <laughs> performing a, 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 a two-handed forearm smash. No, no, no. At, that's that's the Ganguly child. Pits. That's the Ganguly child catcher. That's what you're going for. <laughs> it was a little bit like that. It looked like he was trying to catch someone with a with a net or or club a seal. Um, <laughs> it was quite effective. He was scoring lots of runs. I mean, it was obvious what England were trying to do, and he was just like, "No, I'm not having any of that." I mean, like Joffre Archer gave me some treatment in the last test, mm. and now and now it's my turn. Um, you know. Yeah, he was good, wasn't he? He was good. And he, he, he managed to humiliate a few of the England batters for good measure along the way. Yeah, he's, 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 just, he's just such a canny operator. And I, I love watching him bowl. There's just that bit where you're watching him and he's just... Uh, the I think on um, Channel 4 or whoever's the... Is it Hot Star Disney, whoever owned the rights? But they went around what his different load-ups were and did a couple of graphics around how the, just the slight variations and how it comes out a little bit differently. And you can get a... You can get a pitch that kind of goes in your favour, but to capitalise on it in the way that he did in the first innings, I thought he bowled unbelievably well. Yeah, you still have to put it in the right place, don't you? And as we've seen, it's entirely possible to still bowl badly on a, a friendly pitch and get punished. Mm-hmm. I think um, a couple of things on Ashwin. One of the things that I find so impressive is, like you say, the the control he has, just how he can change very, very slightly the direction of the seam. And, and how it spins in, in flight and how that affects how the ball reacts off the pitch. That is uh, that is clearly uh, a, f- a skill that has been refined over a, a long period of time and uh, and very impressive. And I think you talked about him being canny. Nothing epitomised that better than Dan Lawrence's wicket in the se- second innings where he saw him coming and just fired it down the leg side with um, Rishabh Pant. Performing a pretty incredible stumping, actually, it has to be said. That was that was stunning, a full length dive. But it was, uh, it was just like, yeah, he saw it, and he'd obviously picked up because the night before Darren Lawrence came in, and he'd sort of decided, you know what, um, he's played about 
two or three times. He played the same shot where he skips down the wicket and played that sort of drive lofted over mid-wicket. And it was almost the first thing he tried to do uh, <laughs> today. And uh, Ashwin was like, well, I know what to do here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I mean, one of the really one of the things that makes Ashwin really good to watch, um, I, I I think, and, I, and I've been trying to, we've sort of said he's clever, but what does what does clever mean from the perspective of a spin bowler? And I think it's that he's one of the few spin bowlers in the world who is good enough to get wickets by trying things. Um, if you look at a lot of spinners, and I think probably the English spinners are quite guilty of this, they try things and it doesn't come off, and it ends up going for four. And you're sort of like, why couldn't you just hit a line and length? Um, and then, and then on the, <laughs> know on, your limits, basically. Well, yeah, and then, and then there are, there are some spinners that that really take line and length to to an extreme. Nathan Lyon's one of those, an incredibly consistent guy who doesn't really do loads with the ball necessarily, doesn't really have many tricks, but will just nail that line and length, ball after ball after ball. So his pitch map, uh, when Hawkeye display it, it looks like about three balls, and then you see he's bowled 800. Um, Against 60% of batsmen, you will just bore them out doing that. Yeah, Ashwin's one of the few people who who have got such good control and so many different um, variations, uh, and it is so clever that he can bowl in different areas of the pitch and, and have a pitch map that looks, uh, you know, maybe a little bit Don Bessie, but is doing that to take wickets. Uh, and I think that's really interesting to actually, you can you can almost, in, in, in hindsight, you can kind of see the thought process he's gone through to take um, some of those wickets. And I, I think that's just like such a cool thing. It's such a cool thing to have um, that ability. And it's what, what, what makes him... Uh, that engaging. Obviously, he doesn't throw in the the full tosses that Don Bess does as well. So, I, and I think that really is um, demonstrates how when Ashwin doesn't bowl the perfect line of length, it's normally because Ashwin didn't want to bowl the perfect line of length. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bit of a love in for Rohit and Ashwin, uh, Max. You, uh... <laughs> I think, uh, to be fair, I think they probably deserved it, didn't they? Yeah, uh, he did miss out. He did miss out on ten wickets on a hundred. He'd have been only the fourth player ever to do that. So, I think only the only. The only active, blot on his copybook. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, and the only active player to have achieved that is, of course, Shakib Al Hassan, boys. Come on. Oh. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> Who else? Colin de Grandhom. Uh, <laughs> no, he gets to nine and then goes, no, I've taken this too far. <laughs> uh, so, Max, you uh, mentioned Rishad Pant and how yeah. his, his keeping was much improved in this in this test match. He was per- it was almost perfect, wasn't he? Oh, it's brilliant. I, I, um, now I, yeah, we pitch later. But one great thing about the pitch with the turning that we saw was we got to see some brilliant wicket keeping from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rishab, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know he didn't know he was that good. Basically, like the some of the takes he was taking where it was exploding off a length, and he was just, but but getting his hands into positions that are that look nigh on impossible. It's like I as a as a very amateur wicket keeper, I understand to a degree at a very slower pace the difficulty with a ball bouncing more than you expect and trying to get your hands up to your shoulders and trying to like wheel your body around and pant did that so many times and looked so good i yeah i'm really impressed really impressed yeah well, he was go. good we could keep Coley was pretty good too he had a good second innings um I, I yeah, don't know. Not, not great first innings, was it didn't cover himself in a huge amount of glory either no. uh, with the bat or um afterwards no, uh, that's, you know the second time he's been bowled in two matches, and prior to that he hadn't been bowled in a Test match since 2018. So um, is that why he was so surprised? Yeah, I, I think like 
I don't, we don't, I don't think we really need to dwell on Cody here. I think we're going to chat about him and, and some of his other antics a bit later. Yeah. But it was interesting. Um, the the Ashwin-Coley partnership, in terms of the different approaches they took to taming the pitch, which they did, basically, on, on day three. Um, Ashwin was like the freewheeling hitter playing upside-down cricket bat shots. Coley... Uh, <laughs> Coley basically put away the drive and was just like, I'm not going to play that. I'm going to trust my defence. He was talking about it after the game. Uh, and I, I'm going to grind my way to some runs here. And he was really the only player in the whole game that was able to pull off that that kind of ground out hard runs uh, innings, which, which was good. Um, finally yeah, that's a from- good point, actually. A lot, of the, a lot of the runs that came in that game were from people going for it. Like Ashwin took it to the England bowlers. Uh, Moe and Ali's little cameo today, um, and um, and a pant obviously. So yeah, that's uh, that's, that's a, a good point and one that should be lauded and credited to Kohli for his ability to do that. Finally, then in the in the India loving, and then um, I, I think I might need a quick break before we move on to England. Was <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Axel Patel making his Test debut? Um, pretty good conditions if you're a spinner to to make your your Test debut in, but. Uh, he'll be happy with his work, won't he, Max? Yep. Uh, I mean, was it a fifer in the second inning? So you can't can't complain about that. I think that was uh, an example there that maybe India, as you mentioned earlier, Ross got their selection right this time. Uh, I would. It's not a fair comparison, I suppose, to uh, for for Shabazz Nadeem because the uh, the first test wasn't quite as. Um, helpful to him and whether he would have been uh better off on this pitch i don't know but i i doubt it somehow i think uh i think that might have given england a bit more of a chance had he been playing yeah i mean i i think axel I and mean, obviously he bowled well and he he is in the the nathan lyon category of spinners who relies on consistency to be an effective operator in test cricket uh, or it looks like he will be he's only yeah. played one match but that's so absolutely like... fine when you've got ashman at the other end to try shit isn't it Sure. I, I, I did think that his Pfeiffer in the second innings maybe did illustrate how difficult it was to bat on, though. We've seen him in the IPL a lot. He took nine wickets in the whole of the IPL, bowled 51 overs. I probably saw 35 of those overs thinking <laughs> back. And at no point did I think, here's a guy who'll be spinning a team out on the fourth day. But, you know, he did. And again, yeah, it's it's it's... That consistency and that the ability to just plug a line and length, I, I suppose, on a wicket like that, that that was the difference. It was that it was that kind of bowler that really was the difference, I think, between the two sides. So, whilst um, I'd be surprised if Axel Patel maintains his average of fourteen in Test match cricket for more than one <laughs> one game, um, he was in in many ways the perfect bowler doing the perfect thing. I thought in that in that fourth innings. Yeah, I'm not too sure on his uh, on his look that he's going for though. Someone really needs to have a word with him because he's got he's got some pretty budget sunglasses and he's balding. Kind of looks like he's in a midlife crisis in the middle of TK Maxx. <laughs> so, uh, so there we go. Yeah, um, right, fellas. Uh, shall we take a really uh, quick one, a couple of minutes, and then uh, come back with England and and some of the controversies? So there were some good controversies in this match, and we'll we'll talk through all of those. Yes, so England, um, we were on a bit of a um, bit of a hiding, really, and uh, it almost felt like the game was almost lost just before the toss. Really, obviously, Archer ruled out. Um, we took a winning side and made what three or four changes, um, but that is to say that 
we also had some pretty good players come in. So I thought Ollie Stone did actually reasonably well on uh, on his performance and fulfilled that role relatively well. Um, and Ben Folks, Max, you always touched upon the keeping in this Test match. He was he was pretty good to watch, wasn't he? So he was a bit a uh, bit of a silky operator. Yeah, a little uh, little reminder there that he is um, he is one of the best and uh, a, a good pitch for him to showcase those uh, those talents as well. It was uh, it's it's just further evidence that maybe when you go to places like Sri Lanka and India, you want to consider having your best keeper. And yeah, he batted all right as well. Yeah, I, I think not to hijack things here too much, but the the, the folks debate that was going on uh, well in in British cricket media, English cricket media really is illustrative of how little cricket um, a lot of English cricket cricket fans and cricket journalists actually watch. There seems to be a narrative around folks that he's some guy who's amazing with the gloves, but literally doesn't, like, doesn't know which end of the bat is, is <laughs> yeah. the one you hold. Uh, like the guy, the guy's a good batter. Like he could play, and I think he has for Surrey played as a as as just a pure batsman. He bats in the top five for a, for a, for like a good county. He averages mm. over forty in Test cricket in, in, into his sixth Test now. Um, I, I actually reckon that if he were a bit less good or a bit less noticeably good at wicket keeping, he might be in the frame, or he might have played a few more Test matches. Um, he's been pigeonholed to such an extent uh, as this kind of re- Jack Russell redux that people have just forgotten <laughs> that he has another skill. It's a it's a quite a perverse argument to make, but it it genuinely doesn't sound beyond like beyond the realms of possibility. Well, we have to consider when um, Trevor Bayliss was um, the head coach for England. He even said, "I don't have the time to go and watch these guys play cricket, so I'm just going to go and go on reputation of what my mates tell me." Lo and behold, Ben Folks is nowhere to be seen. Uh, anyway, um, the openers dreadful again. Um, unsurprising, really. Rory Burns looks like a musketeer, and he's uh, all out of ideas. So. Oh, the, it's, right. it's the. Can we just with Rory Burns before we get onto anything to do with his batting? Can we just deplore what he's done with his hair on his face and on his head? No, uh, big fan of the hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, I think the whole. Really, what it is, Max? Is Look, the, he's not an Aussie. He can't get away with it. It's the it's the cognitive dissonance between dour opener and rock star look. That right. he's you can't get your head round here. <laughs> if 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 Stokes looked like that, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. No, you'd be I'd, I'd right also think it. he looks like an idiot. Or if Ollie Pope was doing rocking that look, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a guy who enjoys life. And um, Ben and, Folks and he, and he's is got... the only man in that team that I would allow to <laughs> sport that look. Um, <laughs> I, I will pull you up on one thing there, Ross. I don't think you can say England's openers again. Um, Dom Sibley played probably the second most important innings of the first. Uh, test um whatever happens to him in this series now i think he's performed like i i think he okay, could get yeah, four fair. more ducks and and probably you'd say not great but did do this amazing thing one time <laughs> yeah but that's probably fair enough it's, it's just that bit where rory burns in a torrid time and he kind of it just didn't wasn't convincing whatsoever, and I think on the Sibley front, you're right. He played really well in the first Test match. This is it's not the time to throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, but Sibley could have been better. And I think a couple of, well, I think both of his dismissals, he could have done something about. Let yeah, alone reviewing the LBW, which was think hitting about in the middle. How far he's come since that first Test in Sri Lanka, where he looked like he didn't have a a clue what to do. And he's worked on it, and clearly you can see that he's tried to make some changes. Yeah. And we saw those 
successfully in the first test in India and the second test in Sri Lanka. So it's understandable that he's gonna still gonna struggle a bit. And I think yeah, that that was um, that was somewhat uh, epitomised in uh, in this test. Both Sibley and Burns looked. Uh, a little um, I don't know, short of ideas, I suppose, on how to how to deal with what was presented to them. Well, they weren't the only ones, were they? No. Step forward, <laughs> step forward, Dan Lawrence, Ollie Pope. So uh, I, see, I think this is an interesting one. Um, the the narrative that has built already is that Dan Lawrence's time is up, mm-hmm. or, or his his current time is up. I'm sure he'll come again, um, but he has to go home now, or he has to to go on the naughty step, or carry the drinks, whatever it whatever happens to a cricketer when you're no longer wanted by your international side, but you can't go home because of a pandemic. That's what's <laughs> happening to Dan Lawrence now. Um, you can ask to go home. But I don't I don't think Ollie Pope really offered much in the way of... Um, an, or, or in the in the last match either, really offered much in the way of an obvious uh, plan of action when it comes to scoring runs or not being out, which are, uh, for people not experienced in the world of cricket the two most important things to focus on when you are a batter um and i, I think you know like i don't really think there's much england can do if if if, if we're going to be playing on surfaces like uh, the one that we had in the second test i don't think any of these english players are really equipped to deal with that um and i think we'll lose the next two test matches uh, and I don't think there's really anything we can learn from it either. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I'm really fatalistic about the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I, d- I think you're uh, right, though. I think you're right. I mean, I, 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 I think probably slightly more broadly than that is that the English attitude is obviously going to be, well, fuck it. Like, if if, if this is what we have to play on, then I'm not interested in improving my skills. And I know that in the summer, like the groundsmen around England will retaliate for me. And I don't, I mean, like, we're, we're going to get into pitches later. Uh, I don't really like that, the, the, the obvious tit for tat narrative that's going to develop around this. Um, what I would say, though, is that I, I think England need to be a little bit careful here. And I, and I think they really do need to assess. Um, what it is that made Coley and Ashwin successful in the second innings, what it is that made Rohit successful in the first innings, and and think to themselves, what about their games can we replicate so that we have a chance in the next two games? Is that fair enough? Yeah, I also don't think that any of that sentiment that you kind of talked about there is coming from the England dressing room. Like from, from, well, from... No, sorry. I'm going to cut you off there because mm. two England players liked tweets about how bad the pitch was. Did I they? know that's like really sad to know that. But, <laughs> but Stuart Broad and Ben Stokes were liking people commenting about how the, oh, the pitch was unplayable or the, the pitch was disgraceful. Mark Waugh, um, we retweeted it to be fair. Um, <laughs> Mark Waugh put one up. There's a couple of sentences being like, oh, it's all right for the pitch to spin, but this is disgraceful. You can't play test cricket on that. Mm. And and um, and Broad, Broad and Stokes have liked it. So I, I think there's definitely an attitude among the English players that like, well, if, if we're going to be served up with this, the whole game is pointless. And yeah. I, I think at, that's kind of okay for Mark Waugh, who's retired to say. It's probably okay for us to say as, as like amateur pundits on the game. You can't be playing for England and and having an attitude that you know fuck it like we're we're not going to win here and why even try you have to try your your job is to try and solve those problems and I I don't think we saw that in the first game and I, and I think the the points lots of people uh, were making 
about how that is the same surface for both sides. And, you know, it didn't disintegrate massively from innings to innings or day to day. Um, but the Indians managed to score 600 runs on it. Uh, that's that's what England need to be thinking about in the next eight days is, is you know, how well, like maybe not 600, but how do we get 500 and make it difficult for India? Well, some of these England batsmen perhaps just need to go to uh, go to Somerset for a title decider in the county championship, and uh, maybe they'll experience some similar conditions. <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right about the fact that England should be able to take lessons from uh, the way Kohli and Sharma and and etc. played, because we know that the the batsmen in this team, are lo- well, certainly uh, certainly two of them, and by the looks of it, a few more of them as well in this England team are really good. They're top-class batsmen. And there is absolutely no reason why, if they can be top-class batsmen at home in England where the ball's seeming around at pace or swinging, that they can't use the skills that they have to try and um, find a way of combating the ball when it spins lots. Like That's that's the crux of it for me. I mean, I, I think England's maybe their slight problem. I think maybe this is a, this is a broader point for another show, is that on those wickets, the way they play, they they will struggle, and and we've we've praised them for their patience in the last in the previous three matches, but that wasn't a wicket for patience, I'm afraid. Like mm. you, once you if you got in, you needed to cash in immediately. Yeah. because it was only a year and a half ago we had Trevor Bayliss in charge, and that's what they tried to do in every Test match. So yeah, yeah, we know they can do it. It's just pick the battles sure right. you have to yeah you have to read read the room a little bit uh, yeah. on that I mean I, I don't know Does it, I, we're probably not going to solve the batting debate now <laughs> did it did, did... <laughs> I, I, I just think it's only one test match and let everyone go and let's rip up the game plan Chris Silverwood needs to be fired <laughs> Moeen Ali's going home because he doesn't oh, care about cricket so like, England isn't it I'm not even saying, it, it winds me up that people put so much faith in what Michael Vaughan tweets or what idiot other podcasters do like the one that rhymes with Ticket Nadger, who's deliberately tried to stir, like stir the pot for to get himself a few more followers. Grow up, mate. He, he compared Jack Leach and said his career's over, um, and compared to Simon Kerrigan not two weeks ago. It's people now. Like, now, Ross, where you know we can't uh, we can't throw stones when it comes to trying to create controversy to get extra followers on Twitter. Uh, when you consider what we do on Twitter sometimes, but uh, you do have a point. Re- reactionary reactionism is not not befitting. We uh, did, we did, we did do a poll on one day asking who was player of the day: Ashwin, the pitch, or the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> we we definitely need to wind our nets in a bit if we're going to throw around uh, accusations or, or, or um, instructions about how, who should do what on Twitter, how to carry um, ourselves on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, no, I, I agree with your point though, Ross. I think it's one test, uh, really, really odd conditions for England to bat in. Uh, if if the the next two tests are similar to that, England have to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can kind of give them a pass on this one, uh, in the context of how much they have improved batting wise in mm. the last year, and they have, they have. Like we were talking last week about how they get to four hundred nearly every other game now, and they hadn't done that really at all under Bayliss. Um, yeah. Stick and with it's your a process. Progress as a team, isn't it? We've, yeah, we've got to remember it that is. it still is. Stick stick with the process. Um, if 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 you get a slightly more, uh, if you get a pitch that fits the English skill set slightly more, then they'll be competitive, and I, I think they just have to trust um, tr- trust in that. And if they get a, you know a spinning demon, they have to hope that Root wins the toss. They have to hope they bowl better, mm. um, and they and they need to score another two hundred runs across the game. 
Um, all, all pretty difficult things to do. Um, but it does segue us on nicely to the bowling. Uh, what did what did you make? We might as well just talk about the well. Let's you know. Let's start with the positive. What do you think of Ollie Stone coming into the side? I thought it was the right decision. First of all, we we discussed it briefly, didn't we? Before like, uh, out extra podcast, we had a conversation about what we thought might happen once uh, Archer was ruled out, and I think um, we thought maybe they might go for Broad and Anderson. Uh, we were concerned that maybe they'd bring in Wokes because that would be an England thing to do. But ultimately, if you look at the blueprint that England have tried to put together, particularly for games overseas where you've got uh, one person to try and get reverse swing going and one bit of extra pace, plus Ben Stokes, then Ollie Stone was 100% the right person to bring in. And um, he definitely uh, definitely didn't... Um, do himself any any harm with his performance mm-hmm. actually try and get some words out there uh, <laughs> but uh yeah no I, I i was impressed i think he worked hard and he um got uh got some good wickets and ultimately yeah well done well done ollie stone no yeah i thought i thought he was particularly impressive blowing away the tail on that second morning yeah, when, when the uh, spinners weren't doing anything yeah well india had got to 300 for six um ollie stone bowled a spell that basically meant they'd didn't really score very many more runs. And 329, look, that was probably 100 runs more than par. Um, but had India slogged their way up to 400, um, England w- would, you know, they could have batted five times and they wouldn't have won, won this match. <laughs> so maybe it saved England's blushes a little bit. Um, the other the other two bowlers who bowled, well, most of the rest of the overs, Leach and Moeen. Um uh, no, probably not their finest test is my basic assessment of them. I don't know if that's fair enough. They did take a few wickets. Yeah, they took uh, took all of the wickets in the second innings, didn't they? But um, you would you would sort of at that stage you would kind of expect the spinners to be taking the wickets, and Jack Leach has still got a, a demon in the shape of Rishabh Pant by the look of things. Did he not and get him out twice? He did. He did. He got the, got the yeah. stumpy, didn't he? But he still um, still went after him a bit. So and uh, I actually thought yeah, Leach, I thought Leach was all right. Actually, I didn't think he was as bad as kind of the doomsayers are saying. I think it was an is an improvement if you compare to what he was bowling in Sri Lanka compared to what he's bowling now. He is kind of England's premier spinner, and I think he's kind of going into that mould. He might not get it right, but at the same time, he's also coming up against some of the best players of spin in the world. Um, Moeen Ali hadn't played Test cricket for what. 18 months for one test in 18 months and actually coming in to that situation him going at four and over yes it's not the most ideal situation but the guy had covid hasn't played much cricket what are we kind of expecting in that scenario um to me the team selection felt a little bit just like england almost had a gut feeling that they were gonna india were gonna produce a bit of a turner um, I think they probably got their selection wrong um, in uh, picking Stuart Broad. Um, when they saw the pitch, I think they should have gone, actually, do you know what, guys? Why don't we risk it with something a little bit different? They've got someone like Matt Parkinson in the squad or add another bat- batter in there and try to try at least to hit some runs on it. Um, so that's my two pence on the matter. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some selection questions. Uh, well, Jack think... predicted the pitch, didn't he? Jack predicted it would be a turning pitch. Maybe they should have just listened to him. But look, what what was it? We predicted something else last week um, that was good, but that India would win. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I actually don't think the England bowlers were that good. I mean, I think Leach was a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe unlucky not to pick up a few more wickets. Uh, I don't think Moeen really delivered, and I, I think Ross, for a lot of the reasons that you sort of mentioned, 
Um, he's he's coming back into the team in a like a cameo role when he knows he's going home after this test match. Uh, he's had to spend 20 days in quarantine. He's barely played in the last 18 months. Apparently, when he got out the out of quarantine and bowled in the nets in Sri Lanka, he cut his hand open on the seam of the ball because his hand had gone a little Skin bit soft. Skin had gone so soft. Oh, yeah, God. so that probably held him back. Like, his preparation probably wasn't ideal from that perspective as well. Hmm. Um, I, I can't help but think that he was put in basically an unwinnable position there. Um, England were really clear that they dropped Bess um, for Moeen and and when you do that what you're basically saying is that this guy's going to come in and we think he's going to be better but we've all seen Moeen before he's actually quite a similar bowler to Bess and I think to expect something radically different was probably wrong as well you know I I think probably what we should celebrate is that he bowled a couple of really fucking good balls (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, as 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 probably has been the theme for Moeen's career, also bowled quite a lot of fairly average balls. Um, I think the, the the other big talking point around him, of course, would be that uh, Root said after the game, and I think this is probably it's probably uh, not great language from Root. I reckon. Um, so Moeen is going home as planned for the third and fourth test, so he can have a rest. He's been away for two or three months now. He's got a young family. Uh, he's going to go back for the white ball games and then he might go and play the IPL if he's picked up on Thursday as well, uh, which would mean he'd be, he could potentially have been away from home for five months, which is a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it got to this test and apparently England asked him, can you stay on for the next two tests? Uh, Moeen Ali said, and I think it's fair enough. No, I, I've been told I can go home. I'm going to go home. Um, I want to see my family. Um, Which I think is completely fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, though, Root came out after the game and he said, Moeen won't be available for the next game uh, and he's chosen to go home. Uh, And that that set everyone off, didn't it? If anything is going to trigger people, Moeen Ali going home from a big series in India uh, after he's taken eight wickets in a match, having been recalled to the side, is it's a red rag to a bull. Um, Poor choice of words from Joe Root, don't you yeah. think, Ross or Max or whoever? Go, on, Max. I was going to say, with just uh, as as uh, watchers of cricket and the England cricket team, we need to remember some of the incidents that we've had in the past with uh, mental health, such as Jonathan Trott and Marcus Druscothic and those sorts of issues where people have left tours in uh, really difficult circumstances for them, and we just. In in the current climate where things are as bizarre as they are and having been locked up for 20 days or, or whatever it was that Moeen Ali was in quarantine, you just you need to see the bigger picture, don't you? And think, actually, these are people and they, uh, you know, they've, they've got other other aspects to think about, especially. And um, I mean, yeah, the, the confusion, I suppose, if you want to call it that, about how it's come about does does add adds to that doesn't it in terms of you know England need to be clear and they need to be supportive of their players in these situations and it seems like seems like I I assume you just misspoke but that's not it's not uh, sort of suggesting support is it for no yeah I I think it's quite an unfortunate um, use of language there particularly uh, with respect to how far England have gone to emphasize that Stokes and Butler and Archer 
and well, others as well have have had refs and and it's 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 all part of the plan and it's normal mm. um it's not necessarily it's it's it's, it's england's um role as an employer if you like to be really banal about it is to look after their employees and, and that's what they're doing um when they don't pick stokes for for sri lanka yeah. um what, what? And it, it just didn't come across like that for moeen ali um I, I don't think you can really blame brute that's not his job and he's his job is to captain a cricket team um and he's he's just been thrashed and they're yeah, he's probably him knackered up. after being just <laughs> yeah. flattened for three days and and he's talking about a player he probably does want to stay there who is going home mm. um not not well managed by england in general i think yeah i, I just i just don't understand if you've got a selection policy that you're sticking to use it as the excuse at every opportunity like you've got the perfect out you don't need to say don bess is dropped you don't need to say Moinelli has chosen to go home you've got the perfect excuse and it's just poor from England I think and it just gives um, fuel to the fire for people to uh, sit on Twitter and have a go also didn't need to say it today yeah no (laughs) yeah Uh, right I I, I am kind of wary or I am quite worried that that might be the end of Moeen Ali in an England test shirt Um, hopefully we see him again but if you look at England's schedule coming up over the summer and then into Australia there's not an obvious point for him to return um, but we, you know, we'll keep an eye on it, and uh, I'm sure. I'm sure I think be... that's probably up to Don Bess. For, well, yeah, it may the rest well of be this up... series, and maybe the start of uh, New Zealand. Is it next? Mm. It is. Yeah, it may well be. Uh, it, um, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Here. We, he's going to lead us to ODI and T20 glory at the next World Cup. So uh, let's not worry too much about it. <laughs> Fellas, shall we move on to the two or three controversies that we've got? Absolutely. Uh, let's start with. Uh, Let's let's start with the 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 India captain because that's probably the 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 least talked about, but maybe the one that will have the most impact on the the rest of the series. Um, Virat Kohli, after he didn't get an LBW decision against uh, Joe Root on the evening of the third day, which you know looked reasonably out, um, went and you know got in the umpire's face. Uh, as they'd say in pro wrestling, um, <laughs> remonstrated. <laughs> remonstrated exactly uh, with the umpire in quite an aggressive way. Fellas, what did what did you make of that? And and Cody, he's got a couple of demerit points already on the ICC's demerit point scale. Do you think we 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 might not see the India captain for the next Test match? If oh, I mean, it's I I think I don't know I don't know exactly how many points he's got, but two he should two. And what's the is it is it four for a, three for a ban? Probably yeah. we, sh- we we shouldn't. We probably shouldn't. I I on previous shows I we've done stuff about uh, demerit points in the past. I think and I've I've looked at some of the uh, wording on the ICC website about what it constitutes a demerit point, and questioning the umpire's decision and sort of aggressively is definitely worth a demerit point, and that is definitely what he did. And I just I mean. If he gets away with it, then you are you might be leaning towards some questions of favoritism towards some of the the bigger players in in cricket. Because personally, for me, he what he did was unacceptable, and uh, I mean it looked it did look quite it was I mean it was definitely close to being out. You might say that the umpire probably should have given it, but you look at the ball tracking. Not it was what, half the ball was still outside off stump when it hit Joe Root so I mean the the decision is the decision and that's sort of how umpire's call works and you've just got to 
deal with it. And and uh, you know we'll get onto some other umpiring decisions later on. But I don't think he can be too have too much uh, to to complain about when it comes to uh, umpiring decisions in that game and the fact that the game was definitely over. <laughs> England were like what. <laughs> 50-odd for three at that point, chasing 482 with two days left in the game. Get over it, mate. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing I I would add to that, I think that's a pretty good summation of the situation, to be honest, Max, unless Ross is going to come up with a a wild card take. Um, (laughs) I think Coley kind of did that because... Right, so in my mind, maybe maybe I've been a big conspiracy theorist here, but Coley's going into this match having lost four consecutive games as India captain, which is a pretty unprecedented run for uh, one of the best test teams in the world. Uh, and, you know, I think their most successful captain as well. Um, so I think he was under a reasonable amount of pressure. Um, and I think that what he basically wanted to deliver, and I, I think he probably instructed the we had some input into the, the, the pitch as well here, was what he wanted to, li- to, to deliver was a massive India win. Um, and I think probably on top of that, he didn't really want there to be many caveats to that win. And so the fact that the umpiring had been pretty fucking average uh, and, and that averageness had been largely, well, <laughs> massively in favour of the <laughs> India side, um, provided one of those caveats... Um, and so I, I do wonder whether his remonstration there was a little bit dramatic just mm. to emphasise the point that these umpires have not been great for both sides. They should ban the prick. <laughs> right, next, um, <laughs> next, uh, next, next controversy then. We might as well stick with umpiring. Uh, uh, as 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 we've mentioned, one of the incidents. Uh, would either mm. of you like to talk us through what happened in this match with respect to the umpires? Max, you love the rules. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just I was just waiting for you to say. Uh, that, I, I was just half well. expecting you to have a white coat and put your umpire clicker yeah. in your pocket. <laughs> Um, okay, so well, point one then. We'll start with point one. Um, it was Rohit Sharma, and uh, while he was on a hundred and something, hundred and a lot. I mean, but we should probably point out before we go into like the umpiring things, they actually had absolutely no impact on the result of the game whatsoever. Mm. Like they are completely inconsequential to the end, to the end result of the game. But we should talk about them because they were that bad. Um, Rohit Sharma, the first one, Rohit Sharma, um, uh, Ben Folks, really quick work behind the stumps, uh, takes his bells off, appeals for the stumping, goes to the third umpire, and this one, I think we can. I mean. It looked to me like it was out, and it looked to quite a lot of people like it was out, and that there wasn't a part of the foot behind the line. But I think it was close enough that the umpire could make the argument that he couldn't give it. Yeah, I actually would probably have heard on the side of not out, to be honest. So I, I don't think it would have been a disgraceful one either way. Yeah. I mean, it's benefit um, of a doubt to the batsman still a thing? Cause yeah. In that what, case. What I'd probably say was weird about that was that normally... Um, when the third umpire or DR, the guy operating the DRS makes a decision, they, they're very clear about talking you through what they're looking at, what what, yeah. fra- what frames they want to check, what angles they want to check, um, and you get a full description of the process. You didn't really get that with this. You saw it from one angle, then you saw yeah. it from another angle, and then you went, he went, oh, I'm going to make my okay, decision made now. my decision. And, and normally was... they tell them what to put on the screen as well, don't they? But he was just yeah. like, I've made my decision. And then the screen says not out. And I was like, what? There's not normally much of a surprise, but right up until the point when we, where the camera was on the screen, we were all like, well, this could go either way. Yeah. Um, An not, audit trail would have helped. Yeah, basically that. 
Um, I, I wouldn't have been disappointed with it going either way. I, I, I'd say 70% out, 30% not out. Yeah, I mean, that, I think we can... This one, we, if it was as an isolated incident on its own, you look at that and you're like, all right, fair enough. I don't, don't have yeah. too much of an issue with this. Unfortunately, not very long afterwards... Um, was it Rahani, this one, where um, yes. uh, the, the ball uh, beats the bat, hits the pad, bounces up off the pad, and... Um, and England take the catch and go up with an appeal. Quite a, quite a, it's quite a strong appeal. They looked pretty convinced. Uh, wasn't given out. They referred it to the TV umpire. The TV umpire looked at the ball passing the bat at first. There was no edge. Looked at the ball hitting the pad, and then said, "Okay, it's not out." At which point the England players were like, "What are you doing? We, we like the after it hit the pad, it hit his glove on the way up. Why haven't you checked that?" The uh, the umpire on the pitch nodded, fully understanding what Joe Root had said, and then they proceeded to check the LBW, which no one had asked for, and then they just moved on. And it was just, I mean, and what I didn't understand with that one is that Joe Root had clearly had a conversation with the umpire and asked, look, can you, he was touching his hand to say, like, I think it hit his hand on the way up. Are you checking that? It looked like the umpire nodded. And Joe Root said, okay, like Joe Root looked like he'd got a, comp- a positive confirmation that they were looking at that. Then they checked the LBW and just moved on. And everyone was just completely stunned. And obviously, shortly afterwards, they showed what happened and it hit his glove on the way up. And then England's backroom staff went and complained to the match referee and got their review back. Uh, did they complain or was it Mark Butcher for president? <laughs> Mark Butcher a... for president, yeah. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was he the one who made all the difference? Well, well, I let's let's really... choose that as the narrative. Let's go with what? that. What I didn't really get about this one was like how far away from the the protocol it was, and this I mean it's a pretty banal, boring thing to talk about. But there's a, there's supposed to be a process when you're the DRS umpire, which this guy had never been before. Apparently, that's a problem. Mm. Um, <laughs> but you're supposed to check like <laughs> you're supposed to check were, were there any catches, were there any LBWs. And go through all these different things. The fact that he didn't get to the LBW until the on-field umpire was like, can you double-check the LBW, shows that he wasn't even following the most basic protocol. The other thing I don't, didn't really get, and again, we didn't hear anything from this guy. Uh, I did have his name down. I've lost it, unfortunately. We didn't hear anything from him talking about why he was giving it out or not out. Besides, like, oh, it's missed the bat on the way through. <clears throat> it... I don't know, just a massive, massive error, basically. Um, I, I find it hard to believe he can be that bad. Like, well, I, no, I see, this is organically. This is, I, I think probably no. I think he was that bad organically. I, I just think he didn't really know what he was doing. Probably had no experience using the technology. If you've never yeah. done the role before and you've not been trained well, properly, he'll never do it again. Well, he Unless was on the field. This is, him. <laughs> this is it. He was he was on the field for the first test. The umpiring was excellent in the first test. Yeah. The on-field umpiring was fine. Um, so I don't think, like, this guy's in the pocket of Virat Kohli or something like that. Like, it's, it's, it's pretty clear he just didn't really know how to do his job. Yeah, but, um, I, but I don't understand how, because it's not exactly like one of those things where he, he, one doesn't really need to be... You could do TV umpiring from any part of the world, um, but there's also a bit here around... As you say, following protocol, but just the basic steps. He would have watched. Oh, sense. Yeah, he would have watched other people be third umpire. He's not going. What's this magical replay that we've got? What is it? Like he knows what to do. Well, I, yeah. So I don't it know looks, if he will though, have as though. well. 
on the first on the first take where it beat the bat and hit the pad, it looked like he just cut it short immediately. It was like yes. the tape could have run on. He was just like, no, nah, that's enough. Yeah. Like, well, well so this is where he needs to be because he doesn't. He's not the TV director. That's not his skill. He is asking someone else for the footage with the snickometer or or mm. the ball tracking, or whatever it's. There, there's a really yeah. everyone knows it. It's I'm part uh, of TV director. Yeah, yeah I'm rock and roll that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We've all heard this. He wasn't doing any of that. He just got some pictures and was like, I didn't hit the bat. Let's go back on field. And then the umpire on the field was like, you didn't do the LBW. And he looked at that for two seconds, basically laughed and went like, oh, that's Miles outside leg stump. Um, <laughs> back on field we go. Um, he's needs to, he needs to talk. He needed to talk to people. He needed to talk to the TV director and the, the, uh, about what he needed. And, and he can't assume, and I think this is probably what happened, he can't assume that the TV director knows anything about cricket or what might have happened. Like the no. TV director probably is just somebody who has technical skills in in, in TV productions. Probably just someone from Disney who knows how to operate whatever thing it the is big to machine. go from camera one to camera three. <laughs> um, and that's why you need that technical expertise. Ross, I think your point about that you could third umpire this from anywhere in the world is maybe the the learning point, if you like. Why is there not a specialist? Um, user of this technology like like var and stockley park well what a wonderful example that is but um <laughs> you think in cricket like it's it's reasonably self-contained like it, it shouldn't be too hard why can they not get somebody who knows how to use a laptop in to do this job yeah and, and the umpires max as you well know they love the rule side of things if you're an umpire you well, want they to, should do yeah, shouldn't they? you want to check all the different bits you want a bit of access to it I think it's an umpire's wet dream. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go on to the third bit. So, Max, um, what else was? Uh, what, what other travesties happened? Uh, well, I'll <laughs> summarise. I'll summarise this one quite uh, quite succinctly. Basically, Rohit Sharma was out LBW because he wasn't playing a shot, but apparently he was playing a shot. I don't quite understand how the uh, deciding of playing a shot works, Jack. I think you have uh, a bit more knowledge on, on this. I'm sort of maybe based out of something that happened in the Australia series, in that whether the umpire is supposed to tell the captain or not, or because uh, so, it so looked my, like my understanding basically, and I think actually the way the rules are written are fairly opaque on this. The my understanding is that the on-field umpire watches it, makes a decision in their head, then they don't tell anyone, and then the the captain on the field, if he wants to review it, he has to guess what the umpire is thinking in his head uh, to see. To see whether to to before he makes the review. So obviously on this occasion the ball has hit Rohit Miles outside off stump. So if he's playing a, a shot, it's not out. Um, Joe Root has guessed what's in the umpire's head, and he said, "Ah, I'm going to play the no shot card." And <laughs> the umpires immediately said, "Nah, he was playing a shot, mate." And then that's it. Debate over. the The on field umpire decision is final. The third umpire cannot overrule that. Um, is my understanding. Although the rules don't, they don't explicitly state that. They sort of just insinuate that that the third umpire the can't can't overrule it. Um, yeah, what's definitely always go with the uh, real time view of it that you've only got to see once rather than uh, having another look at it. Definitely what, the right way to go there. What's interesting is that's just not what was happening in Australia for the India Australia series. Um, Gary Lyon bowling to Pajara we saw Pajara do it in this test match one of the things Pajara does is sort of go down the wicket and if and sometimes kick the ball away but with his back kind of near his pad 
I think on balance, he's probably not playing a shot there, but it's close. There's, there's certainly some debate to be had. And so what was happening was that he, Pajara was coming down the wicket, he was kicking the ball away, and then Payne would ask the umpire, is he playing a shot? And the umpire was saying yes or no at that point, and that did lead to Payne reviewing one, which uh, where in, in the... Um, at the, in the Gabba test, which was, you know... It was close, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, really, really fucking close to mm-hmm. um, to having Pajara out and, and, and could have changed the series. Um, the actual protocol, I'm led to believe, is that on that occasion, Tim Payne should have been guessing, just like Joe Root was. Um, mm. Bizarre. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, like, the big failing here, not only that the, the, the rules are stupid, is that... Rohit Sharma clearly wasn't playing a shot and Rohit Sharma literally said I'm not playing a shot <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> that was hiding behind the pad the whole time it was so obvious yeah well unfortunately people who don't appreciate terrific application also bring up stupid things like that on Twitter <laughs> don't they so um, uh, anyway um, there's a bit here Max you said at the top of uh, this segment that ultimately <clears throat> it wasn't costly the umpiring decisions weren't costly like the, yeah, the none of them had any real impact on the game we're, we're, we are lucky that that is the case because there were three really, well, um, I suppose if you want Coley's one on route, you could say four, but ultimately three really bad bits of umpiring just through what looks like sheer ineptitude. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, yeah, no impact on the game. But on another day, it could have made a, a huge difference. And... That would have been bad, obviously. Yeah, and, and and that is the issue with not having neutral umpires. So typically now you have neutral umpires because of but because of the pandemic, the Indian home test ones. And so instantly, no use solving that with an extra review if the reviews are a load of bollocks. Yeah, but that's it. Instantly, it, it makes you a target, right? And I mean, the people people's opinion of the BCCI is not favourable anyway, unless you are an Indian cricket fan. Um, so actually having Indian umpires and the BCCI combined with having shockers. Instantly, people putting two and two together and making five out of it and going conspiracy theories as Jack loves or whatever else. It just doesn't help what is going on. So mm. we need to be, or the um, ICC needs to be supporting the umpires in the best possible way. I'm not saying umpires need to go out there, but as we said, you can do third umpiring or match refereeing from anywhere. You don't have to do it um, sat in the stadium. So... Uh, yeah. Alternatively, points, alternatively, yep. they also let in what ten thousand fans, and then they had to have home umpires. So it's just like you could get some umpires in, do you reckon? But never mind. Matt, right. the, what about should the pitch? We, um, should we, yeah, should we, the big should one. We, should we address the pitch? Uh, this is this is going to be a world record cricket podcast. By the way, we're we're going into the two hour thirty minute area. <laughs> You, you, you laughed at me earlier when you said that we'd definitely get this done in about half an hour. Not a It's going to have to be a two-parter, I reckon. Uh, well, yeah, there's, this is part one, and in about 15 minutes' time or an hour's time, however long it takes us to get through the pitch, we will bring you part two. Um, <laughs> it, won't, it won't be like that on YouTube, which is going to confuse everyone as well. The pitch, the pitch, the pitch. I mean, lads, to begin with, it's going to be it's a bit ridiculous that we're going to have to have an actual discussion about some dirt used for a bat and ball game 6,000 miles away. That's but, that's cricket, baby. But yeah, you know, that's cricket. And I, I think we sort of do a little bit. Max, have you got any thoughts on, on the pitch? I, I have numerous thoughts on the pitch. And to be honest, I've been kind of struggling to uh, get them into a coherent argument because I've got a lot of conflicting views. But ultimately, what I've settled on is that A, the pitch was bad. B, England didn't lose because of the pitch. England lost because they weren't as good as India. 
especially on that pitch. But um, I mean, that's that's the that's the short version. Yeah, I mean, what what I came the the conclusion I came to is that you can basically distill sport or, or the watching of sport down to kind of two points of view. Uh, there are the people who think like the winning is the most important part, and then there are the people who think the story and the journey to the game and the game itself is the most important part. And I think uh, with this pitch, which I don't think was great, and we can get into the detail of why I don't think it was very good in in a second, but I think people seem to be falling into basically two camps on on, on this debate. Um, The people who think that winning is most important are saying it's absolutely fine for the home team to do what they fucking want with the pitch. Um, Great, India were right to do it. No problem, it was a test. India deserved to win. English shouldn't complain. Uh, and then there's the second camp, which is more about, I guess, the playing of the game. And I think that's probably where I sit. Uh, and, and, and those people and I don't think the pitch was very good. And that's not because it benefited India, which it, which it did. It's more because it, it completely banjaxed the whole game um, by T on day one because Rohit Sharma had played well for... 60 overs um one team literally could not win anymore uh and and i think that, that's bad basically yeah that's because really bad. at that point you don't have an even contest do you between yeah bat and ball uh, i think for for me like to flesh it out a little bit you've basically you can have i mean one of the great things about cricket is that going overseas and winning an away series is really difficult because the conditions are you're not used to the conditions and they're different and they bring you different challenges and challenge different skills that you have to overcome and that is entirely possible uh in india with a good pitch like the pitch will naturally turn more and when it deteriorates it turns more than it does in other countries and that's something you have to negotiate um that that can be done with a good pitch the like a good pitch I think in cricket is not like it's not dependent on where it is. It's a ubiquitous thing. It involves something that, you know, is probably at best about on, on maybe day two gets worse about on by the end creates a fairly even contest between bat and ball where both sides have to have to work. And within that, there can be different challenges for each team. And uh, I think what we saw was one that was, it wasn't a balanced pitch because the ball was spitting all over the place by day three and possibly the afternoon of day two. And it's like you could just look at it and see it like from from the crease two meters out at either end by the end of day two, like the start of day three. It it was a completely different color. It was just like sand. It was it was ridiculous. But the people who make the argument that India go overseas and England and they'll prepare a green top, it'll hoop everywhere and they'll be bowled out for 50 are entirely right. That is a entirely valid argument. They will go overseas, and that will happen to them. And that's also bad. The the, the you know you can't really blame India for doing it because it happens everywhere. It's a, it's symptomatic of a wider problem. Basically. So uh, that's the yeah, that's a good point. the The podcast <laughs> the the podcast will be out in one usual block. It'll be about two and a half hours long. Uh, probably use up <laughs> all the data on your phone. Um, the YouTube show we split into two halves because. Because, you know, um, hopefully you enjoy it. Make sure you like and subscribe and all of those other things that people on YouTube tell you to do. Should we take a break and then come back with Dan Weston? We love hearing from our listeners, so please follow us at The Cricket Pod on Twitter and Instagram. 
Or if you have a great story, like Scotty G did, about the Hayden Way, Matthew Hayden's personal website, we want to hear about it. So from wherever you're from, send us in a great story and we'll read out on the show. Email us on thecricketpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Right, fellas, it's IPL auction preview time. For this, we are joined by cricket analyst Dan Weston, whose CV includes work with the Birmingham Phoenix, Leicestershire Foxes, and a book, Strategies for Success in the IPL. He's talking a big game there. Um, Frankly, I don't think uh, we we could have someone more qualified to talk about this than you, Dan. It's been a little while. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So much looking forward to the auction on Thursday as well. Great. Um, Basically, what we're going to do then is go through each team in the IPL in reverse order uh, based on where they finished last year. So we'll be starting with uh, the Rajasthan Royals. Um, One of us will provide a short intro, uh, talk about the positions that need to be filled and the budget, etc. And then Dan will tell us who they're going to pick up. Um, we should, we should also say that if you, we've got a few listeners, I think most of our listeners probably do follow the IPL, but if you don't, this might be a little bit confusing. So the, the sort of rough basics are that there's going to be a mini auction in the IPL, which is when the teams release some of their players and there's a limited player pool. And then they, they basically rebuild about a third of their squads each, uh, prior to the 2021 tournament. Uh, each team needs to build a squad of 25 players with a maximum of eight overseas players uh, it, it, within that 25. Um, the auction pool, that's made up of players that franchises have expressed an interest in picking up. So somebody out there wants all of the was it 300 or so players on the list. Um, does anyone here have any questions about how we're going to do this or what the IPL auction is? I'm going, take, the, I'm going to take. What's the IPL? What does what does IPL stand for? <laughs> um, it's it's yes. Um, <laughs> let's just move on then, and we'll just get straight into it uh, with the Royals, the Wooden Spoon winners from 2020. Uh, they have eight squad positions to fill, including three positions for overseas players to f- to build the the final third of their team they have 35 crore which works out at about 3.5 million pounds so one crore is about 100 grand and we'll, we'll probably use those roughly interchangeably uh, on, on this podcast um i i reckon personally that they'll be looking for some fast bowling or or basically any bowling to back up joffre archer but let's get you in early dan as the expert uh, talk us through the Royals and, and what they need to do to move out of last place. Well, first of all, I definitely agree with you about the, the need for bowling reinforcements. Um, along with Kings Eleven, they had the worst bowling group in the comp last year, statistically. Or well, they're not called Kings Eleven anymore. I'm called Punjab Kings as their new rebrand as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, Rajasthan, yeah. They really need pace bowlers in particular to help Joffre Archer. Obviously, they've, they've retained TRB, who who has some potential and maybe they're looking to grow into to doing that. But they also need some extra reinforcements than that for that as well. My notes from them say they need numerous death and pace bowlers and probably another at least one more quality overseas batter because their batting stability was pretty weak last year, even though their boundary hitting was quite good. So for me, um, I also thought some of their retentions were a little bit questionable. Um, I've written a lot in the past about the, the the fact that overseas players are quite 
easy to jettison if, if in, in more of a high expected value world. And so there's, there's only really need to retain overseas players if you think they're going to cost more to buy back at auction or they have like a super rare skill set. So guys like, for example, David Miller, AJ Ty, you could, I think, release and then work out better options or pick them back up at auction without paying any more money. So I think that, the, the, you know, that doesn't, that didn't really make any sense to me. I think Stokes at, at 12.5 crore is quite overpriced, even though I can understand that rare skill set argument for him somewhat. And, and Adcat was another retention that, that kind of surprised me a bit because last couple of years he hasn't performed very well. Um, but yeah, so who will I look to pick up? For me, the first name on the list would be Jai Richardson because uh, as a bowler who's coming towards peak age, two power play, two death bowler, why not? And his numbers are excellent. That's exactly what they need. Plus, he's a very, very useful lower hit, lower order hitter, maybe like an eight or something like that. So, so that gives their top order batters a little bit more of a license to attack and then they could pick him up. And plus, by doing that, you stop Mumbai getting him because he will basically complete their team. <laughs> so, so I mean, if I'm if I'm Rajasthan, and obviously I'm not, but if I am, then I'm bidding and bidding and bidding and bidding for Joy Richardson until until I get him. So talking talking um, about uh, a little bit further up the order, then um, obviously they got rid of their captain Steve Smith, which um, to probably the more casual IPL fan looks like a big move. I mean, Steve Smith is is a Galactico mm-hmm. in in the wider cricket game, Ross. Um, we, we we talked a couple of weeks ago about some of the or the, the, the wider Rajasthan Royal strategy on this show. Uh, who do you reckon they might pick up as an overseas batter to replace Smith? So I think um, essentially it has to be top order. I think Dan, you said they need a bit more firepower at the top, and I mean there is a Australian and English kind of contingent which is quite batting heavy. So you've got Milan, Hales, Roy, Livingston, kind of in the English duo uh, or the English um, contingent. You've got the likes of kind of Aaron Finch, um, Glenn Maxwell's in there as well. Um, I'm just I'm always reticent on this kind of stuff to kind of say that Glenn Maxwell should be the one that be, it gets picked up because it seems on every single team. There's a Glenn Maxwell-shaped potential hole, um, which I'm not entirely convinced about. I mean, the guy didn't even hit a six at the last IPL. No, that's not ideal, is it? Um, Dan, Ross ruled off six names there. Would any of them be on your your potential list for for the Royals? Yeah, definitely. So, so I've got a, a few a few players on my list as well for them. So Livingston, they they had him before. Wanted to go back and play county cricket last year, and I think he could be quite an interesting pickup. He's got a really high six percentage, and also offers quite a useful bowling option for me. Um, having a bowler in who who can bat in the top six, a bowler potential bowling option they can use for matchups and stuff in that top six is is so useful. And Moe Nally obviously fits the bill in, in that respect as well. Excellent spin hitter, another six hitter as well. Um, they could also, I think, uh, look at Alex Hales uh, as, as an opening batsman. So I think I, I read earlier that, that Rajasthan had five different opening combos last year. So having that more settled opening opening combo would be good. Personally, I think they probably already got that. If Butler and Stokes could do the job together. I think Stokes is a better opener in T20 than he is in the middle order. He's got much stronger record against pace than spin. So, so it makes sense to bat him up the top. Um, so there's a couple of names. And I also have a little shout for a couple of other sort of lower profile names that, that could get picked up. Moneyball, Moneyball type names, um, opening batsmen. Um, Ramanullah Gabaz from Afghanistan, who um, is a very, very talented hitter. 
done well in the T10, 35% boundaries in the T10, and is starting to, to make a name for himself in various T20 leagues. And also Finn Allen from New Zealand, who scored over 500 runs in the Super Smash this year at a strike rate of almost 200. So those are not bad numbers at all. <laughs> a uh, couple uh, of uh, hipster choices. <laughs> very much so, but that's that's what I'm about. So. <laughs> um, I, that's where you I make think... the money. I think the Royals have, more broadly speaking, some structural issues that will be quite hard to paper over in a, in a, in a, in a mini auction. I think that their Indian players are, by a reasonable distance, the worst Indian players in the tournament. And that means that you that the overseas players have to do too much heavy lifting. Um, is there anything they can do to address that? Or, or do you think I'm wrong? Um, we'll ask Max and then we'll inevitably go to Dan, I think, on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I think um, it's a it's a good point. They're they are a little reliant, aren't they, on actually quite a lot of English players. It would seem, and um, just be- it's just because those four slots are so precious. It is really important to have that that Indian contingent, and I think I I would agree with you, Jack. Personally, I I think uh, you need a couple of Indian sort of star players to to back that up, and I don't know if the Rajasthan Royals have got that enough depth in that department. You could you could pick up the bejazzled Harbhajan Singh who's put himself in as the maximum base price. <laughs> that, Dan, would you be going for Harbhajan Singh? <laughs> um, probably not. I think I think I, I'm not. I, I wouldn't really look for for an off spinner, a veteran off spinner myself. I just don't think that there's there's that much desire to have an off spinner in your team unless they bat as well or they're a complete mystery type bowler mm-hmm. with a lot of upside. And I'm I'm not sure that that's something that Rajasthan would go the route that they go down, but. Going back to what you were saying at the start about it's difficult to restructure in these mini auctions. I think that's so true because what we've seen is that that a lot of the franchises have been very cautious about re- releasing Indian players back into the into the auction, and that's uh, it, it's it's tempting. I think what we see a lot of the time in the last few auctions is that teams take a punt on guys from like Saeed Mushtaq Ali Trophy, Tamil Nadu Premier League, Karnakata Premier League as well. Uh, and and the gap in standard between IPL and, and those lower leagues, particularly the latter two, is huge. And and really there's only a few players in there who would even be a ball, ballpark average standard at the IPL or a little bit better. So so but what we see sometimes is people taking massive punts on them because they've got recency bias and and they've been tipped up and they're a bit in vogue. They end up going for like five or six crore or something like that. And to me, that's a massive mistake mm. and, and, a, and a pun that's not worthwhile. So, yeah, it's hard to over overhaul the domestic contingent in a mini auction. And it's kind of just like bits and pieces now in this mini auction till next year's major auction. Could you uh, could you see the Jube in play? Uh, I don't really rate him that highly, to be honest with you. I, I'm Personally, I'm not really a fan of players who aren't good enough to get in the team as a batter or a bowler if that makes yeah. sense I, I like I, I call them quite luxury players and and, and with with Dubai or do du- I don't know how you say it I think yeah, it's Dubai it's yeah like- Ross has just compared him to Dion Dublin's drum <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah he, can, he can break into the Indian market with his uh, with his instrument if he's really clever <laughs> with it uh, uh, that's an dear <laughs> Well, I think Dubey might come up again, but uh, we were speculating a while ago that that we thought he could end the auction on the 18th as quite a rich man, um, being one of the the, the f- sort of few Indian players who um, isn't really old, um, has and, experience, and has a little bit of experience in and, the IPL, and does both as well, yeah. does both batting and bowling. Anyway, um, I agree. 
Yeah, I think I think he'll be popular, but I wouldn't go for him myself. Yeah. Anyway, I think we'll we'll draw a line under the, the Rajasthan Royals there um, with some names for you, uh, and move on to Chennai Super Kings. Yeah, so Chennai had an awful IPL twenty, um, not reaching the fir- the playoffs for the first time ever, and that's obviously disgraceful to the CSK fans who are they're like Man United fans um, about fifteen years ago. Um, MS Dhoni, it could well be his last IPL. Um, he's well, he's what he's about fifty five now. He was <laughs> he was pretty pants at the last IPL. Um, and they've a bit of an interesting auction strategy or retention strategy. They've um, for some reason, kept hold of all the old players that they have, other than Shane Watson, who retired, so took the decision out of his hand. And Harbhajan Singh decided to be like, do you know what, I'm worth way more money than this. So um, CSK still have 42-year-old Imran Tahir in the, um, in the thing, which I don't think is that bad of a thing. Um, but it means that they've got a bit, of a, a bit of a difficult auction ahead of them because they've only got one overseas slot uh, with 22.9 crore to spend. Um, they, could have, they could have gone to the market with a bit more. Um, Dan, um, originally I was kind of thinking that they might need a top order hitter in there, but with Guy Quad Faf, Surish coming back, so he's what the second highest all time run score in the IPL, um, I think. Yep. I might not be making that up. Um, and Ryadu, they've kind of got a three of four there, which isn't horrendous. Um, so maybe their one overseas slot could be Shakib Al Hassan. That's an interesting one because I actually think they really do need hitters and particularly middle over boundary intent um you, the guys you mentioned there i think you said Gaikwad, duplessis and uh who was it the other guy of course so Gaikwad actually had the second lowest percentage of, of hit, boundary hitting in in the comp last year and we'll talk about the player with the worst a little bit later <laughs> probably when we talk about rcb <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um yeah so Gaikwad obviously has a lot to prove from that perspective but he's young and, and you would like to think that he can improve um duplessis is not really a hitter um and and rainer is i don't think a hitter either and mm. uh, to be honest with you i i I made some notes about their their retention strategy, and I think I think one of you alluded to earlier about the fact they could have gone to auction with a little bit more of a kitty, and I'm surprised that that, that Raider at eleven crore, Bravo at six and a half almost, and Khan Sharma at five uh, are retained. I think that they could have really done a lot more with that overhaul that they probably did need after last year, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say that they needed a hitter from somewhere. Maybe they'll go to local market or maybe they'll just say, no, that's not how we play and we're not going to pick a hitter again and, and kind of be stubborn about it and then go, go go for more of an overhaul next year. I don't know. But yeah, they need a new spinner as well, definitely. Yeah. I think that's something, that's something that they, they clearly need. Um, so again, they may go lo- local or, or um, even overseas, but I think they retain Santner and, and Tahir as overseas spinners, so they probably might go local market for spinners instead. Yeah, and they've, and they've obviously got Jadeja, who's just an unbelievable asset uh, anyway. Um, is it Should they have got rid of that boy um, Chawla? Pius Chawla? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, personally, yeah, I, th- I, I, I think he's getting older now and, and his numbers have kind of dropped off a little bit. Yeah, I don't mind that release at all. I, I think that CSK are one of the most, from a management perspective, they're quite often held up as the team that franchises around the world should emulate in the, in the way that they pick talent and the way they identify players and so on. I think they've just been incredibly lucky over the history of the IPL that they're, the original mega auction, they ended up with a really good core Indian side uh, which included like Jadeja and Ashwin and um, Dhoni. And, and this was when Jadeja and Ashwin were, were virtual nobodies. 
Um, and then they've oh, over the over the well, the decade following that, d- d- despite being banned for two years, sort of managed to roll that on. I I I think we've reached the end game of the initial. IPL mega auction way back in 2008. Most of those players are too old now. They can't really contribute. And we're seeing that actually CSK don't have a strategy for overhauling that. I mean, I I cannot understand why when when you struggled so much for, for power last year that you'd retained so many overseas players when, when the market for hitters it's actually alright. I mean, there are, there are a few guys um, from overseas that you could bring in to do a bit more, I think, than even like Faf Duplessis. I'm, I'm not really sure that's why, where they need they need to be allocating resources. But, but Jack, this is, I think, ultimately where you're mistaken because they actually brought back um, Robin Uthapa. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's obviously the answer to all of their problems. The, the guy is, a, is an IPL juggernaut. He's got, a, he's got a title win, which is more than you've got. Um, he's got a strike rate. Of 119, um, an average of 16 in uh, the IPL 20. So um, let's 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 dial it down a little bit. A lot, yeah. I, I think we should. We might need to clarify that that was so a, a lot joke. Of the play, best players, Ross, do have a strike rate above their average. So that is that is a good stat that he's got. <laughs> I think um, it's it's interesting what you said, Jack, about them um, being a bit lucky with their initial auction strategy way back when, and building a team around a core of people like like uh, Doni and Jadeja, and uh, they've sort of gone sort of the the inverse now they've gone full circle and people are talking about csk building a team for the future around sam curran yeah i don't think that's a great situation to be in either to be honest particularly if you're going to go back to we were i mean there's there's a there's a test match ongoing uh at the chipwalk um stadium and and you can see how much it, it can spin there and, and their ipl strategy over it's a road mate I don't know what you mean <laughs> the last 12 years has been to kind of use the the natural tendency or the natural bias towards spin to their advantage. Um, I'm not sure really that Sam Curran fits that um, that mould of player. Uh, and so, if your if your game plan is to build a team around Sam Curran, um, why would be my question? Because because that's all they had left, and he was the best player for them last year. That is that's the only reason people are saying build a team around Sam Curran. It's because they were so awful last year, and he was the only one who stood out as being half decent. I, I that's <laughs> that's what it looks like to me. Is it because he makes things happen? Oh, he does. He I mean unequivocally <laughs> he makes things happen. Dan, I'm sure that I'm sure the statistics bear that out, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, I have a theory whereby actually players who make things happen, they make things happen because they're good players. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, he, Curran's, Curran's interesting because I think he was, when he first went to IPR at Kings 11, he was grossly overpriced. Um, but now at, at CSK, I think he's made perhaps a little bit more realistically priced. And also, he has a lot of upside in terms of his hitting. He's really improved his hitting. And I think that, again, we talk about that kind of rare skill set type of thing and as a a left arm all-rounder who can hit he kind of ticks a lot of boxes there so I can understand that strategy a bit more what I can't stand understand is the strategy of picking 35 year olds yeah (laughs) Yeah. hey old old people win t20s we know that now (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) oh sorry no unless you're Leicestershire yeah uh, it, it, well, even the, the, even the dog disagrees. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> that was interesting. I, I, I guess you're kind of referring to the Dan Christian quote there, yes, right? Yeah. 
I, I, and it was interesting because uh, actually old guys do win stuff, but it also correlates pretty well with having a higher budget and two overseas players when no one else had two overseas players. Either. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll bear that one in mind too. Right, fellas. Okay, so uh, so just to wrap up um, CSK, so we think they need a bit of a bit of a hitter, and that could be in the form of anyone that we've kind of mentioned before in terms of Hales, Milan, Finch, or whatever. Um, they could do with another Indian spinner. Um, and you've kind of completely shot down that Shakib is going to be selected. So uh, bring on the bidding war for Ma- uh, Glenn Maxwell. <laughs> right then, uh, should we talk about Kings Eleven? Well, oh, they're not. Quite, they're not. Quite, uh, this has actually surprised me. Punjab, Punjabi Kings is that what they are now called? Because all my notes say Kings Eleven. Yeah, it could even just be Punjab Kings. I'm not even sure they're called Punjab. The Kings. Kings. Let's go the Kings. The Kings uh, last year when they were Kings Eleven uh, almost pulled off the greatest IPL comeback ever, but they didn't. Um, they, they they blew it over the last weekend. Um, this year they need to fill nine spots at the auction, including five overseas role uh, uh, roles. As they had, they had a, they had a, a reasonable clear out of um, of overseas players, a clear out which included ditching Glenn Maxwell. They will have a fifty three crore, so over five million uh, pound budget to do this with. Um, my question, Ross, for you is how much of this budget will they spend on Glenn Maxwell? <laughs> <laughs> it was an interesting one, right? Because if you look at all the other teams, we, we said at the top of the show that when it comes to the holes in each of the teams, Glenn Maxwell, from his reputation and with a bit of confidence, he's probably a good fit for some of these teams. Um, have Kings Eleven just got a bit of a miscalculation and someone's got either accidentally put him on the release list, which could well be a thing in the IPL. I don't, I don't know how good their admin might be. Um, <laughs> or they're just going, oh, I reckon we get him for a bit cheaper. And I'm not sure that's going to be the case in this one. Uh, have I called that one right, Dan? Yeah, I, I think it would be... Um... Yeah, it's a gamble because they could end up buying him back for more than what they actually released him for. Uh, um, the thing with, again, we talk about that kind of that rare skill set and having that bowl, uh, batter who can bowl as well in the top six and as a boundary hitter. I know he didn't play well last year. Yeah, but, um, he's a bowler who can bat now, actually. The... Yeah, well, <laughs> he... He's gonna. I think he's gonna attract big bids. He's he's on my list of of guaranteed picks in in the auction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not going to go unsold, and I'm pretty sure that he'll go for decent money as well. Um, and yeah, Kings Eleven as well. I think they they really really need a lot of pace bowlers, and they re- they they really need bowling in general. They their dynamic last year was a strong batting group, but very, very weak bowling. The second worst death economy in the whole comp behind Rajasthan as well. And one player that I think could make an impact for them is actually on their retain list. That's Ishan Perel, who I uh, flagged up in my book as being a, a real value player. Uh, uh, I think he's picked up a 20 crawler at, at the previous auction. Uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, 20, 20 lot, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> he was <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't get picked and then he had an amazing side Mushtaq Ali trophy recently as well and and I think he could really help them in that pace bowling department and probably should have played last year as well um, so I think they'll go heavy on pace bowlers my notes for them is what they need pace bowlers bowlers in general an elite leg spinner and spin hitters with the bat so not too much so Here's a question for you then, um, or a few questions. Could could they be a, a destination for someone like Chris Morris or, or Kyle Jameson? And if if they need a leg spinner, um, Adil, Adil Rashid. Rashid. 
Adil yes. Rashid is available. Is, is he a possible option for the Kings? Yeah, that, that's such an interesting one as well because, like, they, they talk about Kyle Jamison or Chris Morris, and a lot of the time they their their tail started at seven last last year. They have like Majid at seven and stuff, which is you know I think that's quite poor, poor planning on their part. Mm. So having that bowler who can bat could at seven could well be something that they go for. I think Morris is going to be pretty popular at auction, and Jamison obviously is that is a good sort of like yeah wild card pick if you like as well. Uh, leg spinner, yeah, they, well, they need that. Um, there's a couple of others as well, such as uh, Case Ahmed, who might get a bit a bit of interest as well. Um, but yeah, it, I'm looking forward to seeing how um, Rashid does in the auction, because I don't think he's ever been picked up before. I don't think he's ever played IPL. A lot of people in England, in England consider him to be the best leg spinner, white ball leg spinner in the world. I'm not sure I quite subscribe to that view. Uh, um, but but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if franchises rate him for sure. I, I think he has a little bit of the same problem as as um, Joe Root. If Joe Root were to enter the IPL, in that the 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 market, the local market in particular for leg spinners and for mm-hmm. batters who can anchor your innings, is quite deep. Um, and if you were with local build, talent, yeah, exactly, well. yeah, 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 yeah. The, it's a, um, so if you were going to build a team, you probably wouldn't want to spend much of your budget or use up an overseas player um, to fill a role that that can be filled locally for probably quite a lot less more money and would also give you the freedom to uh, pick Chris Morris. Agree with that. I think uh, um, from an English point of view, I, I, I whether or not you think he's the, the best white ball leg spinner in the world, I don't, but he is... I think he is up there, and I think I would love to see Adil Rashid in the IPL because he's done so well for England in T Twenty games that aren't geared towards the ball spinning all over the place. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him in Chennai in twenty twenty. That would be that would be great. <laughs> right, I'm going to draw a line under Kings Eleven there, um, and uh, we'll finish with part one of our auction preview before we take a little break uh, with Kolkata Knight Riders. Oh. My beautiful, beautiful boys, um, the guys in purple. Um, they were the most. Oh, what's the? They were the most disappointing team at the last IPL. I say that they were probably the biggest flop in terms of uh, the expectation around their team. Um, they just really didn't deliver. I mean, they brought in Pat Cummins, the most expensive IPL player of all time. Um, they had the MVP in Andre Russell and best captain of all time ever in the universe, Owen Morgan. Um, I mean, if you listen to any other of our other shows, I'm not. I'm still. I think the jury is still out on how good Owen Morgan is as a T20 captain. Um, but well, we can argue about that a different day. Um, I think what um, they need is probably probably some quicks in their side. But again, they've not left themselves much room to manoeuvre. They've only got just over one million um, to operate with at 10.75 crore, and I think. They'll probably have to go into the Indian market for that. I can see um, potentially Umesh Yadav uh, going into there. Um, They probably need another opening batsman. I think at the top of the order, they were quite poor last year. Um, And there's been a lot of loyalty to some pretty average players on that retention list, including their captain or their captain who was replaced midway through the season, Dirk Kartik. Um, Dan, first and foremost from me, um, Tim Seifert. Is he, is he actually any good? Because he was carrying the um, or, water bottles and proverbial oranges last time out and somehow managed to get a place over Tom Banton. Uh, yeah, I, I've got notes exactly going along those lines as well. I mean, I said earlier about the fact that you can just pick up so many 
good overseas at auctions. So there's no point in, in retaining someone unless they have a, such a rare skill set or they're going to be so popular that they're they're going to be cost more to go buy back at auction. I don't think Cypher ticks any of those boxes, and I, I'm really surprised at that retention, even at a low price. It just seems to me, and my notes say, a waste of an overseas spot because it because I think that realistically it is he didn't really play last year I don't foresee him playing again next year and then yet they re- released Tom Banton who I think has much higher upside as a batsman than than Cypher um, I definitely agree that they need a new opener and I personally I would rip the Narine script up for them mm-hmm. so i done some research on them before and um, when Narine opens they actually have much worse death hitting numbers than than when he doesn't open and I think part of the reasons for that is because they lose wickets early wickets more frequently when he opens because his balls per dismissal count is pretty low for an open over one of the lowest you'll find um that their order gets kind of shoved up more and then they're they're, they're left more exposed at the death mm-hmm. so I would rip that Narine script up and I think that that, that yeah they, they could look for be another team to look for an overseas opener. Pretty sure one of them won't be Alex Hales, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Morgan really won't let oh, that, that go, will he? That would be a turn up. <laughs> uh, so, in in the pace department, Dan, um, do you reckon Umesh Adav could well have a spot there, or would they use their um, one or two of their overseas slots to get maybe Tom Curran into the side? Maybe they'll spend the whole budget on Chris Morris. What, 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 even Alzari Joseph or Cottrell from the West Indy contingent could uh, maybe have a chance. Yeah, so personally, um, pace bowler-wise, Yudish I mean, Adav is is pretty much purely a power play bowler, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I have massive reservations about bowlers who can't bowl multi-phases with high expectation. So when I'm looking for bowling, bowling recruitment, particularly for you know domestic overseas in England, for example, I want multi-phase output from those guys, multi-phase positive expectation output, so evidence that they can bowl two overs in two different phases at a bare minimum. I'm not quite sure that that, that, that is the case with Umesh Yadav. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to overseas bowlers, Cottrell's an interesting one. He kind of fits into that bracket a little bit in terms of not bowling multi-phases, but you might be able to get like two or three out of him in the power play and then one in the middle overs or occasionally one in the early death. Um, and obviously he was bought at a huge price last year, arguably very, very overpriced, and could potentially be bought back a lot cheaper this time I, I think his kind of stock's fallen and mm. uh, you could pick him up maybe at base price would be would be reasonable As it, and there's plenty of others Adam Milne is someone that I've, I've followed for a long period of time he's had a lot of fitness issues but I think with IPL having eight overseas slots as well there's there's that potential to okay well there's if you if you can get say two-thirds of the season out of Milne then that, that would be really positive. He probably won't be able to play every match. Mm-hmm. We've seen that when he played for Kent before. He hasn't always played every single match. Right. Uh, but with, with with bench overseas players in the IPL, you have that luxury of picking up someone who maybe can't play game in, game out. So there, there's there's a couple of options there. Um, and then the, the the guy that we um we picked up at, at Leicestershire, Naveen Al-Haq as well, is someone who I think could really improve a lot of IPL franchises in terms of multi-phase uh, skills and, and, and a lot, lot of good change-ups, uh, action that's quite hard to pick for batters as well. So there's, there's a few names there. Uh, Mark Wood might be another one or... Maybe someone will go back to, to Mustafa as well, who, who I still think has has some ability uh, at this level, but perhaps you know, another player whose stock's fallen a little bit. I think with KKR, they've kind of got the best IPL side you can imagine from 2016. <laughs> um, and 
because of the sort of high profile of Narine and Russell and Morgan uh, and Cummins, it's a little bit hard to. I, I think they'll struggle a little bit in terms of the, the, those egos to break up their monopoly, if you like, over the four spots. I wonder if they'll just pick two backups here. Um, I, I thought Dan Christian to come in as a kind of pound shop um, uh, Russell. for because Andre Russell will miss a couple of matches. Dan Christian kind of does the same thing, not quite as well. Um, and I, I think they, they might just look to cover some bases there. I, 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 still, I, mean, I, I still think they're a little bit old, a bit creaky. Yeah, I think uh, Liam Livingston, I mean, for Dan, your point earlier around having some people who can bowl a couple of overs, if they're not going to pick Narine and if his action goes, I mean, he's not got that much confidence at the moment by the sounds of it, uh, could well be another option. Yeah. Okay, well, that is uh, KKR rounded up. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with the rest of the playoff teams. Right, gents, it is the big one. The one we've all been waiting for, Royal Challengers Bangalore. They released, well, probably about half their squad, I think. Uh, So they now have 11 slots with three overseas available and a budget of actually, I mean, bearing in mind how much space they've got to fill of not that much, uh, 35.4 crore, so about three and a half million pounds. So yeah, a lot of holes to fill, so it's likely to be a fairly busy auction for them. They have uh, brought in Daniel Sams and Harsha Patel from the Capitals uh, already. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they fit. Surely Patel would be a squad player because his record is fairly mediocre and, and Daniel Sams hasn't played much in the IPL, so I can't see them going straight in, which means uh, a lot left for them to do. Firstly, uh, are we a little surprised that given there should be a mega auction just on the horizon, they've decided that now is the time to uh, decimate their entire squad? It's very RCB, isn't it? It's a real odd one. Well, I mean, it, uh, who's who's the brains behind that decision? I reckon what it could be is Coley lost his temper like he always does and was just like, you're out, you're out. It was quite on a bad day. And then much debate on things. Baby keeping him up, yeah. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately some of, some, of the, some of the squad players paid the price. Um, Dan, when it, when it comes to um, their side, uh, surely this is where Steve Smith is going to end up. It, that would be the most RCP thing, surely. I hope he doesn't end up there for their sake. Not 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 because I don't not because I don't rate Steve Smith, but because I think that he needs to be to be playing in a specific role for a specific team and they've got... to address that kind of like middle order stability thing. But they already have that. Yeah. They already have in sheer abundance. <laughs> um, like RCB have my notes for RCB last year: worst boundary percentage in the competition by a mile. Um, need left-hand batters, of which Steve Smith isn't one. <laughs> Lack of left and right-hand combos. Uh, Coley with the worst boundary percentage in the whole competition of batters with who faced 150-plus balls, over 4% worse than the next worst player. Uh, just 6.5% boundaries as, as a squad against spinners. Massive middle-order, middle-over struggles. Need better spin hitters to go alongside Felipe, who's an excellent player of spin. I don't think Steve Smith ticks those boxes for me. And for that reason, he, he will be featuring as, <laughs> the most... as RCB's number yeah, three. I mean that, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to defying logic, there's only one team that does it uh, as, as well as anyone, and that is, that is RCB. I mean, you've, you've highlighted a lot of the problems they've got there, but I think looking at what they've 
still got they've actually got quite a good core of their team i mean they've got um some good young indian talent in players like saini and siraj and uh, washington sundar they've got Kohli, who has his role of not scoring boundaries but you know he'll hold an innings hold the innings together if you've got people around him who can score um you know people like uh, padakal davilias adam zampa who's shown to be pretty handy when it comes to t20 cricket against all odds and uh, charhal as well who's not bad so like that's there's eight players there who are all pretty good so that i mean for one makes it a little more surprising that they've decided to cut it all up now and try and uh and try and redo it with a, a limited pool but i think i suppose with the fact that they've got so much to replace we need to look at the key areas that they need to um sort out so i mean if in terms of who they've got rid of they've got rid of finch they've got rid of um dale stain and they've got rid of chris morris and knowing ali so i would say that leaves them with needing a batsman who can hit the ball a long way uh an elite pacer and then another all-rounder if we start with the all-rounders surely this is another case of trying to release chris morris to get chris morris back cheaper that may well backfire because he was quite expensive and he was uh, injured a fair amount but he's a really really good player to have in your team isn't he they wanted Stark. I thought i thought it was really obvious that they they made a play to free up the budget to get mitchell stark um australia changed their travel advice to their to their players said that they might not the cricket Australia said they might not grant um, exemptions. So I, I I think following that Stark decided he couldn't really be bothered with the IPL. Now he's not going, um, and their squad's a mess because of that. Well, that answers my later question. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is with the amount of players they've released. Obviously, they've released a lot of players, but most of them, apart from probably Morris, you'd say arguably Dubai are fringe players. So maybe they're, they're kind of purposely decided to have that cull of fringe players to free up a load of budget mm. to then really go for like quite a tight, high-quality squad. That's probably what I would do in their situation. Um, Morris, maybe they're going to buy him back. I don't know. They're trying to buy him back for cheaper. But I think that's a, if that's what their plan was, I think it could be disastrous because of that rare skill set argument. Yeah. Yeah, death uh, all rounder who's a pace hitter at the death and a death bowler is like premium in terms of rarity. Um, so that's that's a difficult so one. Could they go in for um, someone like Carl Jameson, who's probably more mm-hmm. towards the bowling end, but we I mean we know he can hold a bat. Yeah, yeah, they could do that, or or, or maybe even look at a sort of a batting all rounder like uh, Ben Cutting or Lewis Gregory or someone like that as well, who who's kind of fits that mold a little bit. Um, yeah, or Richardson as well is another one who can certainly hold about seven or eight. Mm. Would be be, be a, a good lower order hitter. He's got an excellent death over strike rate uh, uh, with the bat. And so yeah, Dan, yeah. when it comes to um, the right hand bowler, left hand fast bowler, is is there a is there a benefit in kind of in the IPL? Should should Sheldon Cottrell be valued more than kind of Azari uh, Joseph, for example? Thinking they're about that- like for like. <laughs> Well, I probably would rate Cottrell better than Joseph anyway, mm. but regardless of what arm they bowl out of. But, but yeah, I, what I find in the IPL is that a lot of the time the teams attach what I call a left-arm premium to players in that they'll pay more for a left arm of the same quality as a, as an equivalent right-armer. Right um, personally, I don't think that makes sense. I, I, I've gone through an absolute ton of historical data to look at what successful teams 
what their squad makeup is. And I'm unconvinced that a left armour is a particular driver of success. Um, there's certainly been a number of teams without a core left armour in their, a pace left armour in their group who have done very, very well in franchise T20. Yeah. So, so personally, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to overpay for a left armour, but, but teams often differ from that point of view. So what, um, what about the, the batting side of things then? Because we are, Aaron Finch played quite a lot last year and didn't really do himself justice and certainly didn't play to the to the levels that we know he can play at. Do we do we think so I mean yeah there's a lot they need to cover and batting is obviously one of them. So I mean are we looking at the same names that we've uh, been talking about already people like um I mean there's probably probably an opener they need or somewhere at the top of the order so are we looking at Alex Hales again or maybe a, a left field move for someone like Martin Guptill? The problem is is that they're their batting lineup is so inflexible. So we've got a situation where probably they're going to go with the top four, and this is going to be a, a, a pretty rigid top four without much deviation, unless there's injuries or real, you know, lack of output from a player uh, of Padical, Philippi, uh, and then Coley and De Villiers. And 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 you know, the Philippi I would actually bat at three or four. Because he's a superb player of spin. His, his strike rate against spin is actually higher than it is against pace, which is extremely rare dynamic. Uh, um, and I, I think he's better. Ultimately, he'll be better, a better player at say a three or four player middle overs than than opening the batting. Um, Padakal is a future superstar in my in my view. So so they kind of got that base covered. But I agree that they definitely need a squad opener for sure. That Party Patel used to play that role. And he's now retired. So they definitely need a squad opener from somewhere. I think yeah. Um, Definitely not uh, going to be Martin Guptill, surely. It's not going to be him. <laughs> he, he, I personally would have other, others ahead of him, yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is, is, when it comes to RCBs, you look at the list of names that they should pick and then you cross them off <laughs> and and look at some people who are sort of in the, <laughs> in the category below that you think may end up there. But um, it's... Is, is, is there any, Max, do you reckon there's an ego thing as well? Like being in a team when you've got the Messiah that is AB de Villiers and Virat Kohli, you've got to have a pretty... Kind of robust sense of self-worth to kind of even fit into that crowd is there well who on that list is has that do you reckon jason roy yeah jason jason roy's probably got it but again i mean that's quite a quite a big name to have as a squad opener isn't it yeah but he's not got the best t20 record has he and i remember when dan you came on the show before and you said that actually jason roy does leave a little bit out there on the field yeah no i agree i, I would have others ahead of him too mm. Um, I wonder, like I said, I feel like left-handers. I, I personally, I wouldn't have released Murray Nally, mm. and I think that he would have been perfect for them in because in, he's so flexible. He can play opener, middle order, excellent player of spin, offers a bowling option for matchups in the top six, and he had a low price as well. I think that was an absurd release, to be honest with you. Um, and, and I needed left-handers as well. Um, one player that, they, they, that might fit that bill is um, Evan Lewis, as an opener with a, as a left-handed opener mm. who, who had a solid T10 recently um, played for Mumbai previously in the IPL probably won't cost the earth. Mm. And I think that he could be a really good like squad opener as well for them. I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a good point with, with, I mean, with RCB, what I'm getting sort of the, the theme of this conversation is kind of as, as Jack alluded to with the whole, the a potential Stark play they've, well, they've they fucked it really. <laughs> they've got rid of their entire squad, and it's all gone to pot. And now they need to replace them all, and they don't really know what to do because we don't. Well, we, I mean, we we can't quite 
come together with a, a strategy for them. And uh, bear, bearing in mind what we've seen from them in the past, I'm not sure they can come together with a strategy either. So I, I'm really interested to see what RCB end up with. Well, I think Dan's Dan's points. Dan listed off like a a, a bunch of stats or that 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 basically illustrate that RCB's problems not necessarily about playing personnel. Um, they they go about T20 in a in a kind of odd way. Um, mm. With 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 their plethora of right-handers and yeah. and their inability to score quickly in the middle overs because they don't hit yeah, well, any boundaries. We see that, don't we? In games with RCB, if if 160 is a good score, they've got the game in the back. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, so I, 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 yeah. That I mean, that was, I think we, I think we were, maybe we were talking with you, Dan. We were saying that, that Virat Kohli isn't the best T20 player in the world, but when the chase is 160, Virat Kohli is the best T20 player yeah. in the world. Um, that's what that's what I think they need to 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 to, have, to look at though is that I don't think that you can have Coley and De Villiers knocking the ball around for ten overs in the middle of every single one of your matches, um, and until and oh, until yeah. that stops happening, a lot of these questions about oh, who could they bring in as an opener or did they was releasing Chris Morris stupid or where could Moe and Ali bat are uh, a secondary. They're just strategically not playing the game very effectively. And the fact that the the pen Coley seventeen crores do that as well. <laughs> it's not so idea. rather than yeah. rather Should than bin yeah. eleven players to get rid of, uh, well, to save that money, you could have binned two, and they might have been in a better spot. Shall we? So um, maybe next time. Move on to Sunrisers Hyderabad. Let's yes. So uh, Sunrisers Hyderabad, who started off last season looking like they were going to be finishing bottom, ended up uh, usurping RCB to make it into the um, eliminator uh, eliminator match and uh, ultimately fell short of making the final. But uh, um, ultimately a, a pretty good performance in the end. And it was kind of symptomatic of how their squad's been, and I think we've spoken about it before. They've got these four overseas stars in Warner, Bairstow, Williamson and Rashid Khan. And if you play them all, then you're left with a really unbalanced team, particularly in the middle order where the batting sort of tails off quite rapidly and in the bowling department. Um what I've seen from, I think their uh, their attentions is kind of an interesting one this year because they've kept Mitchell Marsh, who got injured in the first game of the IPL last year and didn't play, and Jason Holder, who they brought in to replace Mitchell Marsh because he got injured at the start of the IPL, which suggests to me that maybe they have uh, identified this as a problem, not that they've necessarily uh, gone the right way about fixing it, but do you think that... So, I mean, initially I thought maybe what they want to do is bring in, like you said, you don't rate him hugely, but I think I thought that uh, Shivam Dubey could be ideal for them because he's okay at both batting and bowling and Indian. So it allows them to play uh, those three top-class batsmen and have a little bit more balance to their team. But with their attentions, I'm thinking maybe that's not the route they would go down. Uh, does that seem like a fair assessment or am I talking absolute codswallop? From from my perspective, they haven't got a big budget uh, in in what they've you know what they've got left to to, to spend at auction. So I think they're going to be making kind of minor bargain type adjustments to their squad. I I actually probably would have cashed in on Marsh. He's uh, a good, very good pace hitter, but but struggles against spin from a strike rate perspective from the numbers I have. 
and uh, I would also probably have cashed in someone like Shabazz Nadim for another three, just over three core as well, just try and boost that pot up a bit. I think you can probably have bought him back cheaper at auction, and possibly you could even have bought Manage Pandey cheaper at auction than 11 core as well. So that's that's that would have been a little bit of a different strategy, but but yeah, and I think that a lot of the teams are very risk averse in terms of looking to try and buy back players cheaper at auction, They're not really playing it from like a game theory yeah. perspective and potentially the as well with uh, a mega auction coming up it doesn't seem like you know maybe this year could be a bit of a go through the motions kind of thing and and mm. wait until then to to make the big changes yeah well, i i think with summarizers they really need boundary hitters they're me they're they're, they're very mediocre death uh, so very mediocre death uh batting yeah. strike rate the worst in a comp and that's something that there's been a dynamic of them over the last few years there's even with the change of management that's that's still been the case the mediocre boundary hitting numbers in general and for that kind of like I, you talked earlier about rcb having that dynamic where it's almost like designed to be like that and i think that the, to some extent that was also the case with sunrises we kind of for the first half of the comp in particular, we saw responsible Warner, if you like, like the of dot prioritizing dot ball avoidance rather than hitting boundaries. And that and that's generally a pretty bad strategy in T20 from from the, the research that I've done anyway. Um they need a death hitter to go with Abdul Samad. I think Abdul Samad is someone who I think has really high potential in that role. They have Rashid Khan as well, and they need one more. Mm. I don't think Holder is really a death hitter. Um and yeah, and whether he gets in as an overseas over over the other guys is another matter as Priyam, well. Yeah, and I think Priyam given Gog. the makeup of the sorry, uh, Max, uh, say, given had... the makeup of the squad, it would have to be an Indian player, right? Well, Priam Garg had one game where he did it last year. Um... <laughs> is he? Well, he ba- I'm pretty sure from memory, his boundary percentages is not okay. great though. He, 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 uh, <laughs> I think they were they were pinning. It looked like they were pinning a lot of hopes on Priam Garg last year, and he really, really did not come to the fore. So, are there any? Uh, are you aware of any um, sort of uh, or the young or perhaps uh, forgotten Indian uh, Indian talent that could come in and do the job? I saw that uh, Mohammed Azruddin scored a thirty-seven ball century for for Kerala last month. Could he be a, a an option? Yeah, the thing is, like I said it's, it, earlier, it's, it's it's so difficult because there's that recency bias at a lower level comp. It's so tempting, I think, for for franchises to to go down that road of picking uh, players who have done well very recently and then paying over the odds for them and uh, sunrises they, they don't have that yeah. luxury in terms of in terms of their their um, budget as well uh, I, I think they should have played Virat Singh last year as well as a he's 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 got a bit of strike rate upside and he's more of like a 130 strike rate type player but he's a player that I think has very high potential they, they bought him and then didn't use him um there's some hitters at lower level but whether they're quite good enough to to um do do that at a higher level is is another matter entirely hit and Dalal, hit and Dalal didn't i don't think even made the final auction list and he's someone that i think could have done done well in that role mm. vivek, vivek singh is another um there's a, there's a couple at the lower levels who you could probably say, okay, well, I'll pay 20 luck for them or something like that and have a little punt on them and, and see if they've got upside. But yeah, domestic market, I think, is extremely tricky in this mini auction, especially, with, you know, we haven't had a, a big sample size of data, no mm. Tamil Nadu, Kanaka to Premier League recently or anything like that. So no, no, um, not much to go on. Really. I think there might be a bit of a recency bias with the big bash as well, for that having just happened. And we might be seeing some very uh, well-paid Aussies shortly. Yeah, I mean, that, that tends to happen at most auctions anyway. So, yeah, um, I don't think this year will be that much different. 
Should we move on to the big two? Yes, I think I think so. I think Sunrisers, uh, yeah, not probably not much going to happen there, and yes. uh, going to be a, probably a sad tournament for Sunrisers. But you know, not going to predict another title win. Max. Not, I'm not going to be predicting them winning it this year. No, uh, um, Delhi probably capitals, means I win it. Then Delhi the, Capitals, the team that came second. Yeah, so second place, Delhi Capitals. Uh, they again don't have a huge budget to play with. They've got 13.4 crore, but they do have quite a few slots to fill and three overseas slots. So uh, I. I might be some wheelie, wheeler dealing on some of the cheaper options for them if they make um, many moves. I, mean, I suppose the big question for Delhi Capitals, having finished runners-up to Mumbai Indians and having a, a good tournament, but ultimately always being not quite as good as Mumbai Indians, is uh, what do they need to do to be better than Mumbai Indians? <laughs> and can they do it now? I don't think they can do it with nine crore. <laughs> Um, so for, they've, they've released a few overseas players, so they're going to be having to pick up budget overseas players to fill those gaps. Personally, I would have cashed in Hetmeyer at almost eight crore. I think he's underwhelmed based on expectations and reputation. Um, and I, I think that you could either buy him back cheaper at auction or buy an equivalent level player for, for less. So that's, that's, that's another way they could have freed up some money. Um, for the notes that I have for them is they need a high quality pace bowler, an opening batsman, and a lower order hitter or all rounder. They're, the, they're the three key areas. Yeah. Do you not think that they're sort of covered with Rabada and Nokia in the pace bowling department? Yeah, but then what happens if they get injured and there's a South Africa tour at the end of the tournament as well? Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> step, step up Chris Wokes and Daniel Sams. Oh, no, yeah, Sams is gone, isn't he? No, Sams, Sams is gone, gone mate. They've got rid of him. Yeah, yeah he's, he's off to RCB to. He, don't know. He, yeah, he looked pretty average when he played, I must admit. Oh, I thought Hales or David Milan might end up um, at the Capitals, because I don't think either of them will go for big money, uh, but mm. they, they'd probably be kind of useful for Delhi. Uh, so, yeah, I think like we mentioned before, haven't we, that where they often fall down, and particularly in the games against the game against Mumbai Indies in the final, we saw that it was it's firepower where they end up they ended up falling down. They were opening with Stoinis and sort of banking on him scoring runs at the top of the order. And perhaps maybe a better way would be to get a a, a classic T Twenty opener and put point Stoinis down uh, down the order where he could finish games. And to be honest, if Rishabh Pant plays like he does in the Test matches, then they've got a they've got a finisher already because I mean last year he's scored at a strike rate of 110 which is down from I think it was 160 the year before and like having that in your middle order really takes out uh, a big a big chunk of of that so it's possible that they could fix those problems without having to do much at all and I think one of the other things they might want to do is when I mean, they've got rid of Alex Carey so they might be looking to pick up a, a wicketkeeper as a backup for, for Rishabh Pant yep. maybe Sam Billings or Kusal Pereira or someone like that I thought they were going to go Indian for this, and I wrote down the name of the guy. I think it's Barat. Chaos um, Barat, yeah, yeah, who's floating around in the in the in the in the pool. But they've got the overseas slots, so that's the. I suppose if you're replacing Pant, it, it that's makes, it, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, with a wicketkeeper batsman, if they're going to go overseas, go like for like with Kerry. Here's a few names that I've noted down that, that could help with them. Sam Billings was one that's already been mentioned, uh, and a couple of others as well. Um, Gerbars again as an opener keeper who's someone who ticks that box definitely in my view a young player with massive upside I think and Josh Inglis as well as another guy who had a very good big mm. bash in Australia and um, yeah uh, could could do a good job for them I think long term as well and I think Hales is a good fit for them as well yeah. the problem is 
I actually disagree with with what Max said about them. I think Matt Howell's not going for a lot of money. I think with the recency bias of the big bash, he could be one of the hottest properties at the auction. I I wouldn't be surprised if he's out of Delhi's reach price-wise. Yeah, or maybe they could go for James Vince. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Final one. Final thought on the Delhi Capitals. Uh, you mentioned they could do with a, a another pace bowler, and they don't have much money, so perhaps they could be the ones to take a punt on uh, Arjun Tendulkar, son of Sachin. Someone's someone's going to do it, right? Just because of the name, yeah. <laughs> it will happen. Right then, uh, Mumbai Indians, the final team, the the winners of the twenty twenty IPR, and probably the favourites of the twenty twenty one iteration of the tournament. Um, sort of similarly to Delhi. Uh, I think this this tournament will be, or this auction will be, about refinement for Mumbai Indians. They've got uh, 15 crores, so 1.5 million to fill seven spots, including four overseas players. Uh, based on who they've released, um, I think it's a virtual certainty that their priority will be to pick up a fast bowler. And if that fast bowler can bowl at the death, um, even better. Um, I do think that they might be limited a little bit in terms of who they can go for because 1.5 million to fill seven spots isn't loads of money. Um, Max, are there any lower profile names that you think they might look at in this area? Uh, to be honest, if I were Mumbai Indians, I just wouldn't bother because it's just like, why upset the apple cart? I mean, um, <laughs> that. <laughs> so, hold on, your, just... your tip is to play with a squad of 18 because you're already so good. Yeah, right. Why not? Why not just stick with the same eighteen and try and make it a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a competition for everyone else? Because otherwise, it's just going to be boring, and they're going to win again. Right, Dan. A serious answer on that. Um, you've got one point five million to spend. You need to fill seven spots. Four of them are overseas players. You've got rid of a couple or two or three fast bowlers. Um, who's top of your list that you think you could reasonably attain? I think if Mumbai Indians get Jai Richardson, they're going to be really hard to beat. Um, because for several reasons. First of all, they have, with like I said, Pattinson and Bolt, who played quite a lot for them last year, they have strong power play bowlers, but bowlers who probably aren't above average at the death. So Particularly finding super that two, <laughs> So finding that two and two type bowler is, is, is key. And I think in Richardson, that's someone who ticks that box. And also in their side in particular, he can slot in at eight and add that extra death hitting impetus as well. And they've got a team full of hitters. And I think having that extra firepower at eight just gives the, is really nice in terms of their balance. It enables the, the, the higher order batters to attack a lot more, uh, knowing that we've got a little bit more backup down the order. So for me, he would be the person that I would target for Mumbai Indians specifically, but also by the same time, if I'm working for one of the other franchises, I'm going to be doing my best to stop them getting a player like that because I think he's really useful for what they need and has the quality to, to improve their group as well. Uh, obviously, we, we've seen that they've released like four pace bowlers, so we can assume that they're going to look for backup as well. I'd probably spend about half their budget on Jai Richardson if, if I had the choice and then look to pick up some some budget options of which there will be plenty at auction um, I've got Jason Berendorf down as a potential um, pick for Mumbai Indians it's quite like for like as that power play bowler though That's, That's a, I don't know, as a backup not as someone to come in but if, yeah. you, if you've got Southie and Southie drops out of form because Southie's not always been brilliant in the IPL um, so if he if you want someone else I, I thought Berendorf might be a good one Adam Milne could be good for them at a low price as well backup um, squad player very good at impact when he comes in. Could we uh, see the making of Tom Curran in a Mumbai Indians shirt? 
personally, I don't think they'll go for him. And I kind of have reservations over his death bowling numbers right now as well. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. See you soon.